Today's episode is brought to you by Autodesk Sketchbook. Do you like to draw, doodle, or capture your ideas visually? I do. But never had a pencil and paper with you when inspiration strikes? I don't. Well, sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. No. Sketchbook is the app you've been looking for. You can capture a quick sketch or build a high quality render right on your phone, tablet, or computer. Sketchbook is easy to use, free to download, and the desktop version comes with a 15-day free trial. No credit card required. Norm, where do I go to find out more information about this amazing product? Well, just go to sketchbook.com slash tested to download versions on iOS, Android, Windows, or Mac. And if you like it, remember to use the promo code TESTED when you check out for 25% off annual membership. That's sketchbook.com slash tested. That sounds like a fabulous deal. And and now I think we should uh, probably start the show. Hey, let's start the show. It's September 17th, 2015. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of tested.com. Right. Look at that fucking squirrel on my bird feeder. And then suddenly, the Enterprise D's bridge. I'm Will Smith. Seated directly to left, wearing his headphones Lobot style. Norman Jan. It's very loud. Don't need to turn you down. No, I'm good. Okay. Jeremy Williams, also here. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? I'm delightful this good. morning. Yesterday was a really big day. Why? We had a lot of meetings. We had a lot of stuff going on. And then we closed it all at Nerd Night in San Francisco. Norm and I did our first Nerd Night talk. Um, Nerd Night, uh, if you've ever heard of it, it's a local event, not just in San Francisco, also East Bay, North Bay. But every month, uh, several hundred nerds get together for a series of talks, presentations, um, and uh, they're always interesting, uh, hosted in a variety of venues in San Francisco at bars like the Rickshaw Stop, a great little venue. Uh, so nerds get to be like rock stars and go on stage and talk about cool things. And we talked about virtual reality. Virtual we did a reality. Live VR Minute. Yes, except for it was actually like 25 minutes. So it was uh, the biggest VR minute ever. Um, we talked, we, it's weird because I never know. I always, when you're talking, when you're explaining what VR is to people that can't actually see VR, I always feel like a crazy person because you start talking about yeah. things like anxiety and fear and, and like your reptile brain getting confused and not knowing what's real and what isn't. Right. Um, but, but it's fun. It was but, a good crowd. I imagine some of these people were pretty well informed about VR going in. Did you get that sense? There were people who worked at Oculus there. Yeah, they found they, that out afterwards. They know, <laughs> they know stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a good time, and uh, I think we'll have the video sometime. They're gonna they edit videos of that and post them on Vimeo or something. So we'll oh, post boy. it on the site, so you can see Norm. You all can see all the, the horrors all, that you drew in Tilt Brush. All the the times the microphone fell off my face. Yes, so, six times. Was, six really. You did well covering. I had no idea. Was Joey there? Uh, no, Joey. Joey did. Joey didn't want to support the team. How'd you shoot it? Uh, so they, 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 they shoot it. The, oh, cool. Yeah, they do. So they document some of this stuff. So if you search uh, Nerd Night 
N-I-T-E-S-F. Uh, you'll see a bunch of videos from their previous talks. Um, what's also interesting is that every year they collaborate with the Bay Area Science Festival, uh, which is an organization that we love and we've also worked with. They're the festival that hosted, tested the show. Well, that was a nice year. segue, Norm. And uh, we are doing it again this year as a part of the Bay Area Science Festival. So if you're in San Francisco or want to come visit our fair city on October 23rd this year at 7 p.m., you'll be at the Castro Theater, which is a famous theater, and Quentin Tarantino's favorite theater in the whole world. No. Really? No way. If he could own one theater, it would be the Castro Theater in San Francisco. When did he say this? Uh, it was an interview he did... Uh, I want to say with uh, uh, maybe Terry Gross on Fresh Air. Um, but I, I, he does own a theater in, in L.A., but if you could own any theater, it would be the Castro Theater. Um, we're going to be on stage there, uh, not being Quentin Tarantino, but hosting a series of talks and demos and presentations. A two-hour live show. Get to hang out with us as well. That's October 23rd at 7 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to tested the show and I'm going to really check that website out confirm that that's actually the it's tested the show eventbrite.com tested uh, b-r-i-t-e yes tested the show eventbrite.com uh, it's a good opportunity to mention that tested premium members got a heads up and early access to tickets so that they could buy good seats not well I mean there's a lot of good seats but they could get early access to the VIP tickets and their choice of seats before anybody else yeah. got in hope you guys took advantage of that uh, and also, oh yeah, we're uh, doing something else really cool. A big surprise announcement made yesterday at Nerd Night, also relating to uh, the Bay Area Science Festival, is that Nerd Night in October, um, as a part of the Bay Area Science Festival, will be hosted on Alcatraz. Whoa. They're taking over an entire island. So in past Bay Area Science Festival Nerd Nights, uh, they've done it on the USS Hornet. That's the aircraft carrier docked in Alameda, the one that picked up uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins after Apollo 11. Um, and uh, they host, They took over that aircraft carrier, I believe, three years ago. Two, two, three nerd nights ago, uh, years ago. And this year, they are taking over Alcatraz. And the reason we're mentioning this and promoting that event is that we'll be there, too, recording live in a, two episodes. Not Double just one. episode. Double header of Still Entitled with Adam Savage. You- uh, you can ruin two weeks of po- if you listen to the podcast every week. You can ruin two weeks at once and not have podcasts for half a month and if you come watch those those showings. We've never done a recording of Still Entitled in front of a that big a studio audience before. It's usually just uh, your girlfriend. Yes, and so they they they'll maybe throw us in a prison a jail cell. I don't know. They'll put, put us someplace interesting on Alcatraz. Uh, but Adam will be there. Tickets for that event, which is separate from our event, also on sale now. Um, and I think I think you can just go to the Nerd Night website to find out more details. But the whole point is, if you're going to be traveling to San Francisco, yes, and some people have done cross country trips or even overseas trips uh, to, to visit us, and you're going to be at our show on that Friday, October 23rd, might as well stay a couple more days. Uh, it's October 23rd. 7th, which is when our Alcatraz podcast recording will also be. You know, Adam's actually escaped from Alcatraz. 
Twice. Twi- twice? I, I think twice. Oh, somebody told me once, but I, I'm, I'm into it. I want to talk to him about that. I want to find out all about it. Because the Alcatraz, especially at night. So here's the thing. The tickets for the Alcatraz event are a little bit expensive. They're basically 10 bucks more than the normal Alcatraz nighttime ticket price, which is 50 bucks, which is already expensive. Um, but there, I think there's booze on the island. There's booze on the island. Yeah. Uh, Nerd Night is commandeering two ferries um, to, to get over there. Boats. Boats. I've never been to Alcatraz. Wait, what? So that What? You know, it's, it's excusable. What? It's like Fisherman's Wharf. It's Didn't down you go there. on a school field trip or something? People who live here often don't do these things. I like what? It's, it's expensive. I've never been to Alcatraz. So you never I taken saw, the audio tour. I saw Michael Bay Norm. load up. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Rock. Your homework between now and then is to hop on the ferry with your special lady friend, because I'm sure she's never been either. It is a nice boat ride. Do the audio tour. You have a Bloody Mary on the on the boat. It's a good time. Do the audio tour. Find out what it was like to live on the rock. So that you're prepared to talk about it when we get out there, because it is um, it's not one of the most beautiful national parks, but it's definitely one of the most interesting national parks. What else is on our list here today? We've got uh, you were in Portland this weekend. Yeah, so that's uh, some housekeeping, some announcements. Uh, but speaking of events and lots of travel, uh, this past weekend I was at the XOXO Festival, Hugs and Kisses. Uh, this is a thing that I went to uh, the first year, which was like three or four years ago. And then again, the third year. I didn't go this year. I didn't go the second year. I, I guess I only go odd years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's a festival for independent makers. Is, is basically I think that's the that's the the unifying thread through the whole thing, uh, and they usually usually they pick a different theme each year. So like is this the first an invite only kind of event. Um, you re, you apply you apply, and then there's a lottery. They I think I feel like if I had to guess, I feel like they probably like take all the biz dev types out because it's a lot of people who maybe went to South by in the old days before it became like a business development place. Yeah, to, a place to go launch your app. Um, when it was just a place for creative people to go hang out and like meet other real. creative people, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're like they're being aggressively real with it and keeping like the marketing and and biz dev stuff out, which I approve of. Um, but it's a really when I've gone, it's been a really inclusive place where people are incredibly supportive and excited to learn about what other people are doing and kind of find out how that stuff works. Yeah, it's a gathering of about a thousand. It's a lot of people. Web. Uh, it, people were interested in media and the web, mostly introverts. And games. Also interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it is the, the formal conference is a series of two days of talks. So in the past, they've had um, John Gruber has done a talk. Adam yep. Savage has done a talk. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan uh, Harmon. Dan Harmon. Gia uh, Trapani, creator of Lifehacker. Right. Anisa Sarkeesian. Right. Anita Sarkeesian. This year, uh, the talks were from, um, they had Anil Dash do a talk. Oh, what about, did he talk about? He talked about his new project with Gina Trapani, uh, which is called a Maker Base. Uh, M-A-K-E-R-B-A dot S-E. And it's an IMDB for uh, web projects. So, Are we uh, on MakerBase? Did you look? Be. It's used, all user submitted, just like a lot of people don't know, IMDB is actually... Uh, uh, it's UGC. UGC, user-generated yeah, UG. content, with some verification. and, and um, But uh, this is, uh, it was really interesting the reason he wanted to do MakerBase. Uh, and also, I should say, uh, these talks will all be there. I'm going to post them online um, in a couple weeks as well. Um, but uh, Anil, who uh, people may know, has one of the longest and most prolific web bloggers and technologists, and who's seen it all, um, a, a verified, certified internet old, Mm. As some of these people. This is a new term. I don't know if I like this. Internet old. Internet old. 
Does that mean you were there for the first wave of the internet or the second wave of the internet? I, I think as long as you feel out, out, outdated or you feel like outdated you're being is an unkind word, ostracized, word norm. ostracized by internet news, then you can call yourself an internet. Old. Who coined this term? Um, Do you know? Probably an internet new. Fucking internet news. Are you an internet? You're probably right on the line. No, I, I feel like I'm crossing over to internet old. When, yeah. did you, when did you make your first website? Me? Yeah. 1994. That's pretty. That's early. Yeah. I mean, isn't that like the year that Pre-tables. the web launched? No, ninety three. Ninety three was so I. I had a Vax account. I didn't have any way to look at it though. Like I, I was using it with links, so it was like Will's internet page. That's good. And it had a list of links to things that I liked, which probably was. That's what people did. Yeah, you just made a list of shit you liked. That was your web page. That was it. It was a big deal. You were and pr- then probably li- you were probably listed on some index somewhere. That's, I mean, I, I probably I submitted myself to Yahoo or whatever. The, yeah. uh, if we, I can't even remember if Yahoo was around then, but it was mostly a link to like Usenet and and Archie stuff, right? Like, right. So, yeah. uh, and I had a mail to to my Bitnet account, which was. Do you remember Bitnet? Bitnet was old email. No. There were two competing email networks. One was with the at in the middle, and then the other one was just a bunch of gibberish. Uh, and it was like you had to put no. uh, you had to put percentage signs and bitnet and I can't remember it was like it was like private email for a group of universities huh. that were near the one that I was in. No, I had a Vax account at school. We just used regular email. But once I graduated, I made a website in '96, and I thought that was early. So my next website after that, after that very first one, was the one that I put the web. I got a web. I, I I was like, fuck, webcams are cool. You can take pictures and put them into a computer. Yeah, you were a cam girl. No, I was not a cam girl. Um, I had a fish tank that was inside an old TV, like an old RCA, uh, actually a lot like the TV in Toy Story 2, not not the floating one, but like a red one with, anyway, put a fish tank inside there and I just aimed the webcam at the fish tank and people watch my fish swim. I believe it. Thousands oh, of when people When was your first website? Uh, 97. Okay. I think we all qualify as internet old. It was very, it was a big deal because it was middle school and one kid had a website and it was a very long URL because it was one of those. Yep. Like there were tildes. It was the first time I learned about tilde. Oh yeah, uh, I loved with, her and uh, uh, Snowpiercer. Was uh, because of the uh, this kid's website, and yeah. then we all wanted to build websites or at least did have you, our own page. Man, did you, you went to a totally different kind of high school than I did. Middle school. Okay, same difference. These all would have been beating offenses in my middle school. Um. Anyway, uh, the yeah. point of uh, MakerBase, uh, Anil Dash's project, is there are lots of stories. The, the folklore of the web is incomplete. Um, there are websites that chronicle, you know, the history of, you know, I'm sure like Facebook and Apple and, and the big, and, and big stuff. And, and you can find that a lot of those stories in big profile pieces, for example, when Vanity Fair or the Atlantic or New Yorker writes a big profile on something like Twitter or Square. But there are so many tiny little projects and so many things that maybe don't even exist anymore. Um, things like Andy Bio's Delicious and things where internet old had affinity to that. And the lesson is that everything that was done back then, it's just happening again. And, you know, when we talk about things like VR, for example, every time we talk about VR now, we have to tip our hat to the attempts and the lessons learned of the VR of old. Um, and that's not done enough in other web spaces. Uh, so MakerBase is a place where people can talk about, oh, I was a dev on this project and this project and this project. And maybe I'm at Twitter now or maybe I'm at Facebook now. But this was a network of people that I worked with five years ago, yeah. 10 I years mean, ago. If nothing else, it's a good recruiting and, and talent tool. It's, it's right? a networking tool. Absolutely. Yeah. What's the age spread like? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a really quick. I, they just launched it. I think it's mostly. I mean XOXO. Oh, XOXO. Oh. It's, uh, they actually made it all ages this year. 
Oh, so you could bring ages. kids? There were kids hmm. there. There was actually free daycare there. Um, That's nice. But, uh, I mean, that was a very good point. You're making, you make a good point in, um, I think, some of the presentations, they always ask, like, you know, these 25-year-olds who launch great websites now, you know, there's, and there are many of those people in the audience. Um, so, uh, in addition to Anil Dash, uh, there were, uh, Veronica Belmont also did a presentation about being an internet old. And, and actually, uh, she and Zoe Quinn both had very similar uh, themes uh, about f- where empathy lies on the web. Hmm. And does not lie. I would say um, a public-facing woman on the web has a very yes. different feeling about empathy on the internet than absolutely. Than like I have a very specific feeling about empathy on the internet. I bet her feeling is a little bit different than mine. You know, VR VR face and being the future of sex doesn't elicit the same kind of response and and uh, in in tar- and community from those people as you know. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's bad enough what I get. The stuff that, that women get is much, much worse. Yes. Um, so who else was there? Uh, a lot of people kind of like talked about, you know, who are people who have recent successes in media. Um, people use Kickstarter to launch um, comic book publishing companies. Uh, Mallory, Mallory uh, Orberg from, uh, from The Toast, talking about how she and her friend started The Toast with the money. So like a lot of like, Here's what I've done and how one of the thing lessons that we've learned. But you, my path is unique, and all you can know the lesson is you can't do the same thing that everyone else has done. But these are some lessons from what I've done. A, a lot. That's the thing that I like about it because the tendency at that kind of conference is, and actually Darius Kazemi did a good talk about this last year, um, where he compared he's he his whole his the first part of his presentation was basically here's how I won the lottery. I went out and played the lottery every single day. I scratched off the tickets. I blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, 1,600 tickets in, I won the lottery by person. You know, and it, it basically his his whole point was the typical, here's my startup. Here's how I succeeded. That that story that, that you hear about, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, and Google and, and, you know, all the way back to Ford. None of those are repeatable. Like each each company and each business has to find its own path, and some of them are going to be successful. Lots of them are going to fail. Some of them are just kind of stagger along in in zombie land for for decades. Um, but it's it's neat because it's very realistic. And and at XO they have a focus on both people who've been successful, people who've failed, and they kind of don't shy away from talking about the the good and the bad of the whole thing, which I think is a much more realistic and healthier way to do it than you get at something like South by where where you have somebody who's unbelievable, you know, where you have a billionaire talking about how they built their industry, their their business, and then you know they, you do the car door thing, right? It's, yeah, it's um. It's a good, it's a good, like if you want to make stuff, it's a good scene. The other thing that's neat about it is they have nighttime events in the festival part that are awesome. So uh, in addition to conference talks, um, they had several tracks for nighttime events. Some of these things happen at the same time. So for example, I couldn't make it to the tabletop stuff Mm -hmm. and I stayed for like the film and animation portion. Uh, But one night was devoted to uh, indie games. It was their arcade Um, and they had VR demos throughout the festival. So I got to replay things like Super Hypercube. Um, What platforms? um, They had a few Morpheus units there actually. Um, and then they also had uh, a DK2, uh, no, no CV1 prototypes. Um, and, you know, uh, Lucky's Tale was there. I think it was curated by, uh, the VR stuff was curated by, uh, Kent from Voices of VR podcast, who I had some nice okay. chats with. Um, 
and then uh, some of the indie stuff, uh, and we'll save some of that stuff for the VR minute. But some of the indie games, uh, Tacoma was there. Oh man, the space station thing from uh, from the Gone Home team. From the Gone Home team, oh. Fulbright. Uh, this is the first time they had Tacoma playable, but it, the, it wasn't the best experience. Like Gone Home is one of, one of those things where I want to sit in front of the TV or the monitor and just have the full four hour experience. Um, and, and get all the and, and feel the storytelling to watch someone else play and especially jump in in the middle of the night and watch and not get a sense of exactly what's going on wasn't the best thing. So after watching for about five minutes of Tacoma, I had to really pull myself away and, and look for something Does else. It look gorgeous. I, um, so it's a uh, for people who don't know what it is. Uh, like Gone Home, it's a, uh, a story exploration game where uh, you are inhabiting a space. In this instance, it's a space station. Uh, v- very Bioshock-like, reminded me of. Like, really? The lobbies and the, the rooms and stuff like that. Like Art Deco-y? Or? A little bit. A little bit Art Deco-y, but it's still space stations. Uh, but you're wandering an empty space station, looking around and uh, reading logs. So just like in Bioshock, where you would listen to the radio, um, the, what was those things called? The, the, the vinyl? Yeah. Records, um, the records, and here are the audio tapes. Um, here, uh, you're listening. You're watching ghosts of characters, augmented reality, oh. uh, VR, almost like glowing ghosts of characters, and and seeing their scenarios and trying to piece together what happened uh, to the space station. But but uh, like Gone Home, I assume it's something that they, they, there's no win condition. You just kind of explore, and you win when you figure out the story. Sounds right? kind of like After the Rapture. It's a little right? yeah. I mean, yeah, Gone Home was or, like that. I don't know about Tacoma. Well, that's not the name of the game, but whatever. Uh, so um, that was there. Uh, Firewatch was there. Um, I think it was the same demo, that first day demo that they did uh, at uh, E3 or, or GDC. Um, again, I've only played a little bit of it, and another one of those games where I just want to sit down and play for the whole, you know, as much as I can in one session. So it wasn't like a, a great five-minute play experience. Um, other things I really liked there, uh, Overland, super cool. Um, What's Overland? Overland, uh, turn-based strategy game, but felt very much like a tabletop game digitized. Oh, that's so neat. they call it um, Oregon Trail meets the Road, and <laughs> the idea is you're traveling from one city and it's in a post-apocalyptic world, but every map is a X by X. I'm not sure a grid, and uh, you have to. You drive your car, and you have to get out of the car, and that's the start of the map. And then you look through other cars, you look through environments, and try to find gas. And then monsters pop up, and you have to get everyone, uh, all your survivors, to get back in the car and then move to the next block. Um, so it's very Oregon Trail-like like that. But the the, the, the tabletop analogy of like turn base and moving your characters you know, ex- and having a certain number of actions, it very, felt a lot like Last Night on Earth, the, uh, the oh, board the, game. Is it a game that you could play as a board game mechanically, or is there more stuff going on than you could keep up with? I think there's some digital stuff that you couldn't actually do in a board game. Okay. Or maybe you could, but uh, the presentation looked look great. The art style looked fantastic, too. Um, another game I played, uh, Bad Blood. Okay. Um, which I think is on Steam Greenlight right now. It's a single person developed this. Um, developer Winnie Song did it. And it is a split screen hide and seek game where you're hunting each other. Um, but it's split screen. How does that work? Well, uh, the, the difference is the orientation of the, the game between players is different. So you're on the same map technically, mm-hmm. but you're now north, maybe the other players. East. 
It's rotated. Are you saying looking at the other side of the screen doesn't help me at all? Doesn't help you at all. <laughs> but there are landmarks. There are like windows or statues huh. and stuff. And it's like, oh, I see a statue there. But I don't know where it is in relation to where I see my statue because the whole map is rotated. So it's all, it's all about changing perspectives. So it's absolutely about the, the perspective change. And huh. your, your brain is working really hard to reorient their map or your map as you're hunting them. And they're doing the same. Hmm. Um, really, really interesting. And then one final thing. I'm, I'm going to keep talking. No, and nobody explodes was there. Um, but, uh, Did you talk to those guys at all? Uh, didn't th- that, that booth was packed. I'm sure. Like, um, people are really excited about that game. Tinderbox, uh, not a game, uh, not related to the Tinder app, but uh, like Killer Queen, uh, these are guys who actually made a physical arcade cabinet, a four-player arcade cabinet, and uh, as we were talking about, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, how it would be great if the Killer Queen people would make more games and let you load them on. Uh, They want to make an arcade where people can make 8-bit games and upload to their service and then you just get all the games. Oh, so you like you buy a cabinet, put it in your arcade or your business or whatever, and then people can. It's like the it's like the old Select Ten or whatever Nintendo things where there were ten different NES games on one. That's right. Instead of it being Mame, yeah, it's there. There are indie games with four um, four analog controllers. Uh, or four, yeah, four um, like four analog joysticks, four joysticks and four button, uh, four joysticks on the whole thing. For uh, so it's multiplayer. It's oh, made for multiplayer. Oh, games. you know what? I've seen this. I've seen these before. It's so you can play games like Samurai Gun and Tower Fall exactly. on in Spelunky, frankly, on right. on a on a uh, arcade cabinet. Yep. So they want to sell arcade cabinets or at least lease them maybe to arcades. And the game they made was called Shitty Voltron, uh, which was really fun. And it's a game where every player, four players, plays a limb of Voltron. And you, you have to move the limb in physics. What uh, makes it shitty? Well, because of collaboration. Is it like sucks. floppy? It's floppy. It's floppy physics. Like, like quappy flip it. Okay. Oh, yes, like yes, quap. Quap, yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yes. Is the idea that the developers would get a cut of the quarter take? I, th- I think, I'm not sure exactly what their business model mm-hmm. is, but you may either have to buy the games or if they're leasing it to arcade, um, to barcades and bars, uh, then I'm sure there's some revenue share. Um. Uh, and then a bunch of other music stuff. And stuff? Mil- music, mu- uh, music and film was the other thing that I really liked. Um, Every frame of painting, uh, Tony Zhou uh, was there to present his latest episode and did an interview about that. Uh, I learned about some web shows that I'd never heard of that were great. Um, Batman, Piderman. You Bat- should introduce your kids to this, Jeremy. Batman, Piderman. Batman, Piderman. To Piderman. It's Batman. B a m a n. Yep. And Spider-Man. So it's like Batman. a little kid saying. Is this like Batman copyright infringement theater. Uh, no, because it's on, the only that. I mean, the characters are of it, it's totally within parody and fair use. Of course. Um, and they launched a really successful Kickstarter, huge fan base. Uh, the, it's a very kid-friendly um, web show. Okay. Uh, that's really funny. Also. Um, and then uh, Anita Sarkeesian was there and showed a, an outtake from a recent episode. Um, and I think that is also online. So a lot of interesting stuff. Um, it's a, it's an expensive conference, but all the stuff uh, pops up online afterwards. So I mean, you, go, you go to network. Yeah. I mean, it's it's and if you just want to go to the festival stuff at night and don't want to go to the talks during the day, I think those tickets are like 150 bucks if you can get them. So, um, the, the, you know, it's it's a neat thing, especially if you're in Portland or in the area. Um, I just wanted to thank everybody last week when I announced that I was leaving. People were unbelievably nice. So I just wanted to thank everybody for being Why are you really still cool. here? I've got a couple more weeks, man. Oh, that's right. 
Um, is BTF event? Is that something else? Uh, yes. Oh, I should have done this with housekeeping. Uh, something that there's so many events going on in the fall. Yeah. Um, BrickCon's coming up. That's this is Back to the Future. Uh, Back to the Future. Guess what, guys? Uh, every time BTTF. Yes, I, I wrote it too quickly. Um, every time you see that. Uh, that photo posted online like we're this this is the 30 years and from when Marty this is a date and it's just a photoshop of the oh, DeLorean of the digital clock of the digital yeah. clock and, and people get trolled uh, now it's actually it's coming up the, the actual, actual day which 30th, is which is October 21st 2015 alright that's not too far and that is not too far at all and to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future, uh, the super fans are hosting its We're Going Back event, bringing back cast members uh, in LA. They're doing a tour of many of the shooting locations, the Ooh. schools, the Doc's Lab, uh, Knox Mansion, um, you know, the the tree that uh, that Papa McFly spied on uh, Leah the, Thompson the, in. Crispin um, Glover fell Crispin out Glover. of it. Yeah, that's right, that tree. Peeping Tom. Um, yeah. And they're, they're even doing another Recreating the enchantment under the sea dance in the oh, original that's, shooting location. That's clever. With uh, with the band, I and like that. I think Marvin Barry might be there to sing. I want to say. Um, um, all right. Is it Marvin? It's Marvin Barry that sang, right? The guy who, or is it? Is it actually Marvin Barry? Or is it the guy? The guy played Marvin Barry. It can't uh, be actually. I don't know if Marvin Barry is even a real person, frankly. The uh, it, I oh, I think goodness. it's the act. Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. Yes. Was uh, was led by Marvin Berry. Maybe Marvin Berry was Chuck Berry's kid. Well, remember he was on the phone. Chuck, it's your cousin, yeah, Marvin. But, but see, they recorded that movie. They shot that movie in 1984. Uh, yeah. So Mar- Chuck Berry was f- 60 years old by yeah, then. So the, the, I think maybe it's the actor or or, or 40 years old probably. Um, anyway, uh, there are a lot of crazy events going on. I think they're going to have like 10 DeLoreans. It's a lot of DeLoreans. Um, in a convoy, going from the place to place with b- these buses. Anyway, check out the event. It's called uh, We're Going Back. Um, and I think you just go to we'regoingback.com. I, I, maybe Dan Amrick's going to be there. Yeah. Oh, uh, Marvin Berry was played by uh, Harry Waters Jr. Have you seen this trailer for the um, Back in Time theatrical movie release? They're doing the debut of that documentary. It looks good. There. There's a, it's on Vimeo. There's a tra- It's a documentary about Back, about to, the back to the Future. Yeah, it looks, so, good. It looks good. Uh, I may be there uh, that weekend as well. On that Sunday, they're uh, they're doing a panelist with a lot of the production people who worked on the film. Oh, cool! Uh, to talk about special effects so, and, and the production. The interesting thing to me, like, here's the thing: I love Back to the Future. Back to the Future Two is the interesting one oh, of on. the three to me. The first one is a perfect movie. The first one is I, I, I'm saying the per- first one is an amazing film. <laughs> but the thing that they did in Back to the Future Two, which was make a compelling like. If you look at pop, popular science fiction, it's a rare film because they did it. They made they did it made a convincing future that was sticky enough that like the the tropes that were introduced in that like hoverboards and you know the the wall screen and all that stuff have kind of endured in a way that most science fiction, especially of that of that era, did not. Like, I think it's a testament to the the how entertaining the storytelling was. That, that made that technology I, I, inspirational, at least. When, to the when I was when I was younger, I remember thinking that was the worst of the three. That I loved the first one, and I and I loved the third one. Oh, the third one's a dog. The third I, one fe- at, feels like the afterthought. As a yeah. kid, I liked it. 
I don't know why. May, and I felt like at the time, and I knew that they filmed the second and thirds together. Yeah. And I thought maybe in my mind, I I saw them making the second one as a segue, and that was it. That it served to join the two, but that the third one was the finale and like the firework finale. See, I feel like the third one being not awesome was why they stopped doing that. Let's shoot both of the sequels at the same time. Really? Until Lord at the, of the time, Rings. you didn't like the third one. I did not like the third. Well, okay. One. I, 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 here's here's my theory on the third one. I mean, the second one's in the future, clearly, most of it. Yeah. Um, and does the weird going back to the first film, yeah. which is which is amazing, amazing and unprecedented. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, and then the second, uh, the third one goes to the past. Now, when we're talking about time stuff. The third one's a tribute to westerns, and you have a lot of great western stuff. And there's a great, a lot of great like, um, great gags in there and great callbacks to the first two films. I like the second one more because I like stories that tell about the future That's, speculative fiction about the future yeah I, then I'm more a fan of that genre than a fan of westerns so when you put a comedy in front of and, and those themes the second one just resonates more yeah. and, and when I was 15 years old in 1990 and went and saw that in the theater the three in the theater like the the I, I was a, a you know a jackass 15 year old and didn't like westerns because they were about old stuff mm. And then, you know, four years later, I start. I was introduced to the man who shot Liberty Valance and Red River and, you know, all the John Ford Westerns and yeah. was like, oh, wait, there's something here. I should probably pay attention to these. These are good. These are these are fine films. I only learned recently about the legal um, dispute between Kristen Glover. It was a landmark yeah. case about you, uh, likeness. You know much more about it than I do. Uh, Crispin, Glover, Crispin Glover sued uh, the production because he didn't want to be part of the second film. And they got another actor. And that's why he, uh, in the second film, is upside down. His back is broken. He's he's being stretched. And if you watch TV now, they do sell those machines where your back is, you hang upside down and your back is stretched. Yep. Oh, so uh, hold on. Future Him? Future Him was not played by... Crispin uh, Glover? Crispin Glover. Huh. And uh, George McFly and uh, Chris McGlover sued because they used his likeness. Um, and so, right in, going forward, the actors retain the rights to their likeness, even if it's not their character. Yep. It's also one of the reasons that, uh, tying to another likeness thing, Michael J. Fox has never, uh, rarely l- lent his likeness for the Marty McFly character for Back to the Future merchandise and mm-hmm. licensing things. So, as you know, the Back to the Future pinball game... Yeah, it's weird. It doesn't look like him at all or even try to. Um, and it's only in more recent years, you know, in raising money that some of that stuff... Yeah. Uh, and Zemeckis recently said that he would never allow a sequel to be made, you know, a fourth movie in that series. And, uh, good for him. Until the day he died. And he <laughs> would even insist that his estate maintain that after his death. Him and Bob Gale, yeah. They, they know, I mean, it's a perfect trilogy. It's, it is. I mean, yeah. Even even though the third movie is weaker than the two, it's a testament more to the first two movies than the third one. You say that like it's an absolute truth. I think so. <laughs> um, who is the other, who's the other character they recast for the second movie? The girlfriend. Well, yes. Because the girlfriend went from being somebody else to Elizabeth Shue, right? That's right. And yeah. they reshot the end of the... What? No, it was Elizabeth Shue in the first film. No, no, no. It was Claudia, no? Uh, Claudia Wells. It became Elizabeth Shue? Yeah. She huh. was the upgrade. Oh, my gosh. And, Cla- uh, and then they reshot... I mean, there's so many interesting stories about uh, the production of that film in that, you know, Eric Stoltz before um, Michael J. Fox, they, they shot a bunch of stuff. The story of how they let him go and then got Michael J. Fox in. Right. Um, Are they cut Eric Stoltz? Like they were producing. They were shooting, they, right? They were shooting. And there There's was, footage there were, of him on the oh, DVDs and stuff, no right? No way. There's really? not on DVDs, but I, I've I, seen I, it someplace. You can find some huh. stuff online. Um, and they're, they're, 
our stories about how it was broken to him and how some people knew and some people don't, didn't know. And anyway, um, but let's move on. Back to um, future is beloved. Uh, iOS nine. We have iOS. Oh, hold on. Norman's awesome as segues. I just do it to make Jeremy laugh now. I love it. Um, uh, iOS, there's a couple of iOS 9 bits. iOS 9 hit yesterday for phone and iPad and phone people. Interestingly, if you were in the beta program, the public beta program for iOS 9 yep. leading up to the release, they dumped iOS 9.1 out a few days before iOS 9 hit. So if you didn't remove that profile right. from your device, you're now running the iOS 9 beta, 9.1 beta, um, which has the middle finger emoji. Right. Which, I mean, I'm going to tell you. There's a lot of new emojis. I, that's all well and good. There's a burrito <laughs> in there, I think. All I know is that previously I had to go through a bunch of emoji hoops to make something that looked kind of like a middle finger. Now I don't even have to bother with that anymore. No it's just more. straight to the point. It, I think Apple might catch some flack for this from some news outlets, but it is a part of the emoji like icon set. Yeah. That is a universally adopted set of, but, of expressions. We're on the internet. It's part of the the uh, Unicode, right? Yeah. Well, Is that what emojis are? There's a there's yeah. there's a standards body someplace, right? That's what I'm saying. It's like a bunch of 13 year old girls are all get together in a group and they decide which emoji are appropriate, and then they send it out to Samsung and Apple. And to remove the middle finger would have been a, a form of um, of censorship. Censorship. Well, it's not censorship because it's a private platform. But it 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 censors me. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, I want the double middle. You can do that. Uh, I guess you could just. Do. I mean, you just do two. So they're not a mirror image, though. So you have a. It's, I think it's right handed. I think you have like. all skin tones now too. That I think that happened in nine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. not the middle finger, obviously. Oh boy. This no. is not, not the big stuff about iOS nine. Um, install size one point two gigs on my Very iPhone. One point three gigs uh, on my Plus compared to uh, six. I want to say. No, no, it wasn't that much because you couldn't have got it was three or four. It was enough that they the old eight gig devices last time had problems. Eight gig devices. Yeah, think about that for a minute. Um, they. Talk, oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, did we talk about how outraged we were last week about still having a sixteen gig model? Yes, we did. Okay. I mean, maybe we didn't. I feel like I've hammered that enough, but it's ludicrous that they're selling. Well, I I should take a step back. We are not necessarily the every consumer. However, I think there are a lot of people who buy an iPhone, hook up their email client, take an occasional picture and never download apps, never put music on it, never put video on it. Right. And probably for them, a 16 gig phone is sufficient for a couple of years. And by now the public should know damn well enough. They know what they're getting into when they buy a phone. Here's the thing. Though. No, it's horseshit that the base level is 16 and not 32 gigs. Like it should be a simple doubling 32 gigs, 64 gigs, 128 gigs. Mm-hmm. That math is easy. It makes a lot of sense. Starting with 16 gigs to save something that costs Apple about $4 in quantity is insane. I don't think that's why I think I, they're, I, they're making the middle tier look better. Oh, I, more appealing. Look, I absolutely they're doing it. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're Goldilocksing is, their fucking product line, which is what Mark, which is what you do with marketing. I get that. All right. But it's still horseshit that it's 16 and not 32. OK, they're bad people. It's <laughs> no, it's it's really. And, and there is usage data that shows that people with 16 gigabytes right now would run. They, they have so little space. Yeah. And always run into the end of the capacity. 
Yeah, like look, so, I hit, I have capacity problems with sixty four gigs. I don't know how the fuck you do. So it with Apple should save these people from themselves. They should know better. They should get the bigger phone. It's, then don't, dude. Gigabytes capacity on storage is a intangible thing that non nerds have trouble understanding. What does sixteen gigs mean? Oh, it's a thousand photographs. That's fine. I can totally. Or it's twelve thousand photographs. I can yeah. totally understand that. There's a reason that when Apple launched the iP- the iPod, they said, "Look, you can fit a thousand songs in your pocket." That's fucking easy to understand. They didn't say it was a one gigabyte hard drive. That's right. You know, th- this is the same situation. They need to say, "Look, this will hold four hours of video." Right? Not. Yeah. Hey. Hey, it's sixteen gigs. Good luck, motherfuckers. They'll learn, and this will hopefully not be a problem. They're never going to learn, Jeremy. I think they don't learn. It's possible. Hey, by the way, if you had only like 20, what was it, 15 gigabytes of iOS or of, uh, Apple iCloud storage, you now yeah. get 50 gigabytes. They doubled it. Wait, what? Yeah. The, the I- five gigs is now 10 gigs? The no, five no, free the gigs? five is, is still free. That and, also is horseshit, and that's, by the way. That, yep. Well, yeah, they should have increased that. I agree with you. But they, the first, the tiers have now doubled. Here's the thing. They should increase the amount of storage you get for backups by default when you buy bigger devices and more devices. You're so bitter. So if you buy an iPhone and an iPad, you should get 20 gigs instead of 10 gigs. I know they make money on hardware, but it is it is not a great user experience. And they know it. 16 gigs. 16 gigs. Yeah, no, it's bad. And and, and even the iCloud stuff. If you're going to sell this service and market it and... You're selling a bad user experience it, if you know that's what people pay for. And, and here's the thing. If you're using iCloud, you shouldn't be using iCloud for your photos because it's really, really, really hard to get them off of there if you want to move to another service at some point in the future. Like there's a bunch of good cross-platform solutions like Dropbox and Amazon Cloud uh, Cloud Photo. There's a Cloud Photo backup app that Amazon uses. You can use Google Photos. Um, if Flickr even will do this in a weird kind of limited way. If you're on iOS, you're using iCloud for your backups. I mean, that's that's it. Yeah, that's all you should use it for. There's no way around it. But you shouldn't use your photos. Yeah, why not? You shouldn't use it for photos. But you you do. It's sort of automatic. I think what Will's saying is you shouldn't rely on iCloud as your backup photo backup service. Well, sure. No, it's a mess. And you shouldn't use it. You shouldn't use that as your your primary photo backup. Like that, like that's just the end of it. I wouldn't pay Apple money for iCloud for photos because the service is bad. Now, my wife was like, hey, I'm out of space on iCloud. I'm just going to give them more money. So, you know. And that's what they want. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I was saying. They just doubled those limits. So, it's now 50 gigabytes for a dollar a month. And a terabyte, I think, is like $10 a month. A terabyte is $10 a month. And all adds up. Uh, okay, so the other big thing in iOS 9 is content blockers. I'm actually talking to Adam right now about the logistics of the Alcatraz thing. Um, one of the things that iOS 9 adds is the ability for Safari users to block specific kinds of content. Things like advertisements, scripting, cookies, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's a feature that is available in desktop browsers, and now it's coming to mobile browsers. People are fucking panicked. Well, okay. Publishers are absolutely panicked about this. So explain in layman's terms what a content blocker is for a mobile user. Um, okay. So when you load a normal web, say you go to our homepage, which is especially bad right now, or The Verge, or pretty much any media site, um, porn sites, the whole thing, everything on the internet that's not like a personal blog, or um, actually I think it's probably just personal blogs at this point. Basically, as the page loads, you're going to hit scripts 
that run on other people's servers that do things like track your track your status across multiple web pages, all the web pages you visit in some cases, um, load advertisements, load session cookies that track which advertisements you've seen and stuff like that, track your uh, track you for analytics purposes. So either Google Analytics or Omniture or Comscore or one of those things track your you as an aggregate for your behavior on uh, to, to help like do web analytics on a, on a more mainstream scale and on, on a wider scale, bunch of different stuff. It's all kind of invasive and shitty is the upshot. And uh, so people for a long time have used plugins on Chrome and Firefox like Adblock and NoScript and stuff like that to avoid having those things run on their client. There's two benefits to this. One is that people don't track you, which, you know, if you're paranoid, you really are worried about. If you're not, it's probably not going to impact your day to day life. It's just gives corporations more information about how you behave. The other tangible benefit, though, is that pages load crazy fast when you turn off all this ad cruft. Um, So. And also, if you're on mobile, you have improved battery life because you're not loading a bunch of stuff that you're not actually using. The um, the publishers are up in arms, and we, we work on an ad-supported site. I mean, we have memberships and some other stuff, but ultimately, the vast majority of our the money that comes from for tested is people seeing ads, clicking on them, uh, seeing YouTube ads, clicking on them, watching the whole ad. Like we don't. One of the interesting things about YouTube that I think most people don't know is that when you have one of those pre-roll ads that you get the you can skip this in five seconds. The channels only get paid if you actually watch the whole video. So if you hit the skip button, there's no money transferred. And and those two things make up a ton of most of the ad revenue that we get for testing. We do occasional custom things. Um, so what's the upshot on this? It's no, it's, there's business as usual for consumers, except they might get a faster experience and they don't have to be tracked. Right. And some business people are upset. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing, the, the, the thing I would say is that if you have sites that you like and you want them to continue to exist and you want to use an ad blocker, cause I, I like, here's, here's the thing. If you go, if you go to sites that aren't part of your regular rotation a lot, then you can have things happen like the ad injection thing that we saw a few weeks ago where, you know, flash ads were injecting malware into people's computers just by loading a web page. Um, I, I'm totally on board for blocking ads on like blocking by default and whitelisting the sites that you visit all the time. I, th- I feel like that's a good solution for you know, protecting your computer, protecting your mobile, you know, iPhone is a little different situation, but, and then whitelist the stuff that you visit all the time and the sites that you use if you want them to continue to exist. I don't well, even use Adblocker on the desktop because I can't be bothered. I think my web is fast enough and I don't care. I haven't had a real problem with cookies recently or pop-ups. Yeah. Is this really going to be a problem on mobile? How many people are going to be using alternate browsers in order to get, get around Adblocks? So the industry metrics on Adblocks depends on the market that you're in. Um, I know ours has been public about their the number of people that use Adblock on their sites for a long time, and it's somewhere between 20 and 30%, which is a substantial amount of revenue for them. Okay. Well, they have, um, you know, pretty power user. And they have a highly technical audience. Gamers, game sites are going to get hit hard uh, when they're already reeling because there's no gaming advertising dollars anymore. Um, you know, you can look at Google. And the thing about YouTube is if you block YouTube, yes, you'll hurt, you know, you'll hurt Google, which is fine. But what you're really doing is taking away money from the people the who are partners. making the content that you're watching. Yeah. And without that money, those people aren't going to get paid. And without and if they're if they're trying to do that as their job, like we do, 
you know, if the money stops coming in, then the jobs go away and then the content goes away. So you're kind of fucking yourself over in the long term. So is this a problem? That is, I mean, obviously people are going to freak out, but eventually this needs to be solved some other way, you know, right? That's the, that's the, that's it. I think, you know, in a perfect, what's happened is the ad situation has gotten bad and we've gotten to these really invasive scripting things that are actually impeding performance because the people that make the scripts look at the advertisers as their customers, not the people who are viewing the, the pages. And the publishers have to put this stuff on or else they won't get the ads. And even if they have a good, like, when you're dealing with media, feel free to jump in here anytime, Norm. Uh, when you're dealing with media, there's two ways to look at it, right? If you have a magazine or you have a website like ours, you can look at the people who are consuming the content as your customers or the people that you're serving ads for as your customers. Um, and, one, and, and both are kind of valid in different ways. One is, I think, a little sleazier than the other. But if you, if you look at the people that are paying you money to put, content, to put their content on your pages, that is a customer-client customer relationship in a traditional sense. I have always been of the opinion that the people that are consuming the content are the people that are your customers. I think Norman feels the yeah. same way. Uh, and we should be making the experience better for them. So it's a kind of constant push-pull between what the advertisers want, what the publishers want, uh, as the representatives for the advertisers with the editorial teams, and then what's the right choice here. It's a good thing I'm on the way out, because I'd probably get fired after this one if it wasn't. The reason free media has worked uh, in newspapers and moving to the web with advertising-based support is this implied contract idea that, you know, the reader understands that they are getting content, some type of content, and in exchange for it, they... uh, from at least newspapers, their their content is interspaced with some form of advertising. On the web, uh, in, in digital formats, what's happening now is that um, that is not so simple anymore because you not only have to see the advertising, but the actual delivery mechanism of the advertising affects the content experience, and it's different between websites. And so it's also about technologies failing to catch up uh, with with that kind of expectation and the analogy of uh, transitioning from a physical based media um, to uh, a digital media, which we've been doing for over ten years, um, twenty falling short, twenty, 20 years, years falling yeah. short. And also, you know, when when you buy the New York Times and you still see ads in there, by buying the New York Times, you're also kind of agreeing to opt in to this form of media. You know, you are paying for the, the experience, ads included. Uh, when people jump on any old website or click a link, it, they're not. You know, there's no overall, okay, I agree that when I surf, when I read content or watch videos uh, on my phone or on a web browser that I'm agreeing to this experience. Well, um, yeah. So, th- which is why it goes back to the whole whitelisting. People uh, who read the Times aren't required to read the ads, though. They're not. They're not. But it's also there's they, no. They, know, they they understand that that is the experience, yeah. and they, they have a, because it's tangible. They have a full understanding, and uh, there's so little transparency. Um, and the great thing about the content blockers and ad blockers is that the the system and the platforms that um, that make web media possible become more transparent. And that forces technology to get better. I mean, the the advertisers who put an ad in the paper version of the New York Times are just saying, hey, we are going to make something that's compelling enough that people will stop to take a look at it when you're flipping pages and it catches your eye. Yeah. The web advertisers are saying, look, we want this shit on every single page and we want to know how many people eyeball it. 
right? It's a it's a different kind of metaphor because you you can have real time analytics on right. on the web. So yeah, it's a weird situation. Um, Marco Arment is making a blocker. I think is that right, Norm? It's right. It's called Peace. <clears throat> um, he's charging for it three bucks. It seems and, fair. Uh, so does that work with Safari? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Suddenly then, you're interested in content blocking, huh, Jeremy? Interesting. Uh, no, I'm, I, now I see that if it, as long as it works for Safari, it will have a wider audience. So uh, with the way, way the content blockers will work on iOS, from the way I understand it, is that there will be apps you can download that then let you toggle what, you, what type of scripts you can enable and also tap into um, uh, databases <coughs> for what to blacklist and how to whitelist. Um, and then, because it's built into iOS nine, it will move it. It will be transparent, and it will, it will flow to your browsers. And that means that it also works in all of the like the Tweetbot browser and all the other browsers that all your other apps use, which is interesting. Um. So yeah, uh, why is Apple putting a content blocker into Safari? That's the thing I kind of. I mean, they launched the news app with iOS 9. I don't think that this is a move to push people toward using the news app or, or push content providers toward pushing content. In the I think news it's app. part of their story right now that they're kind of framing themselves as the anti-Google, whereas, whereas Google, you know, uh, cares about your personal data and wants to track you. That's how they make their money. They've positioned themselves, I think, or the, the image of themselves is uh, protecting your privacy. And the experience they deliver is the hardware and UI experience, the window right. into the media and um, all your content. Uh, they're not in the business of making that content yet. Um, and so they have no problems making it difficult for the bad content experience to just go away. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. I think it's, it is really a, you know, they have the, the muscle to, to push publishers in one direction or another and the technology. So what else is new in iOS 9? Anything interesting? Um, Personally, I think the iPhone doesn't show off the cool stuff. That's the thing. The 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 multitasking stuff, the split screen stuff on the iPad Air too, pretty pretty neat. Yeah. Um, even, even even the slide over on the lo- lower level uh, iPads is pretty cool. When you do the slide over, is is that the thing where you get the list of other applications? Like yes. it's like it's like um, it's not true split screen. It's like you know a, a little bar on the right hand side that you have to use it. By yeah. itself. Do you have your iPad or two? Before you I return to hey, focus, we can shoot a video. Out. We can shoot a video. Why do you um, say that? <laughs> because we, we should shoot a video. The problem is a lot of the third-party apps don't actually support the multitasking stuff yet. It seems like. Yeah. And I don't. I don't exactly understand how you um, how you set up the multitasking, like like how you make it work. You mean the split screen? The split screen. You you do slide over and then you drag it full in the middle. But you can only do it on the latest iPad Air 2. Uh, this is the iPad Air 2. Yeah. Um, and it's only certain apps, or is it anything? This is the this is the big question. I don't know. I don't have an Air 2. Oh. Oh, there do we go. Do you have your Mini okay. 4 yet? I got it. Next Friday. Oh. Yep. That's a that's a multitask dial. Oh, yeah, there right you there. go. Look, there it is. Tested in real time. Boom. And no, you can interact with both, right? You can interact with both simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. Lists and web <laughs> and then you can, But you can't. It's, it oh, seems boy. like it's two-thirds, one-third. Go, go to the other side. Nope, Safari doesn't. Safari well, doesn't what scrunch. If it's, what if you swap hold it, it? Swap it the other way. Rotate it. Yeah. Ro- oh yeah, if I rotate it, it works. Okay. This is great audio, guys. <laughs> there you this go. Is really, yeah. So it's halvesies on this now, one. Now can you do two thirds, one third? Uh, yeah, I can do two thirds, one third on on this. No, well, maybe not. There, there we go. You, you go. can do Twitter. You can't do one third. Uh, Safari is what the problem is. So much of Surface. Arcade. So 
It really does. Um, except for it's it's way faster than Surface RT was. We have a Surface RT here. We should we can plug them in and and if we want to abuse Microsoft some more. I, I saw a quote. You're absolutely right. I saw a quote on the on Twitter last week that said Apple is willing to copy Microsoft in order to save the iPad. I mean, that, and that's totally what they've done now with the iPad Pro. I don't think save the iPad, but kind of move iPad in the direction that I think they <laughs> see their users. They're selling enter- this is a, Pro is an enterprise thing. Sales have crested, and they're yeah. trying to do things to you know keep sales going up. Sass it up. Um, I like the Notes app personally. This is not getting enough press. I like the new Notes app. You can create checkable lists now, and you can finger write too. And you right? can draw. Both options I have already used, and it it's should have always been there. Because I don't use Evernote. I guess a lot of people already know about this stuff from Evernote. Evernote's great. Yeah. Um, Ever and the nice thing about Evernote is it's multi-platform. So I know this is this is you know I I use I use Evernote. Basically, given the alternative, I'll use the multi-platform thing because I have a Windows desktop PC that I use about half the time. Um, anyway, uh, Watch OS two got delayed yesterday. It was supposed to come out yesterday. I was I'm wearing my smart still, so I can get the update as soon as possible. Mm. Run some native apps, mm-hmm. but it's not out yet. Still. It's it's good. Are you running it? Yeah. You you devved up the you, GM. Yeah, it's it's nice. Okay. I mean, it's uh, it's got the new watch faces where you can create you know pictures where every time you look at your watch, it's a different photo from your favorites, which is kind of fun. Honestly, it's it's not a bad watch. Yeah, yeah. But they've also improved some things like when you're one thing I haven't seen anybody mention is when you're at this menu now. It used to be when you hit the crown when you're oh, I should describe this when you're at this the, is the home the, the home the screen icon with all menu. the icons yeah. when you hit the digital crown it used to take you center mm-hmm. and then you hit it again you go to the watch now it's a single tap to go into the watch which small thing mm-hmm. it's nice and plus the uh, the unlock buttons are thicker uh, they've added a AirPlay button right to this screen with the mute button and the uh, the, the little find utility your button. Okay, yeah, the little little improvements. What's the AirPlay button for? Nothing yet. Oh, but I don't know. I assume if you're using Bluetooth headphones or something like that, maybe that's it. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys pre-order your S's? Yeah, no. yeah. It's coming yeah. next next, next Friday. Friday. No, no, my iPad's coming tomorrow. The phone's coming next Friday. <laughs> next Friday is the phone day, right? That's yeah, right on yeah, the twenty fifth. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get a phone. What color did you get, Norm? White. Six plus. No nice. Way. You didn't you go white. for the rose gold. You went with the full Duke. Uh, it was not difficult to pre-order for people. No, the S years. S is always easy. Because they've got the production cycles. Like there, were, there was well a rumor oiled. that the backlight was going to be a problem this time for the plus. For the plus. Yeah. So uh, not to get too much into their sales stuff, but they did not announce sales numbers, uh, how many pre-orders, which they typically have done. They don't always on S years. They do. They said they're players. on. They said they're on course to beat the record. That's all. That's all they said, which was like the, the only statement they made, okay. as opposed to a, a definitive number. Okay. Regardless, you know, the phone come out next week. Uh, Will will still be around, but I'll be. Uh, You're using the lead it. tester this time. Um, I get to be grumpy with you this time. That's right. Well, I can still be grumpy with the iPhone, even though I'm using mm. it. Don't that's worry, awesome. Apple fans. Fair and balanced. <laughs> I'll <reviews>. be here. <clears throat> Norman Chan's in charge of Apple shit now. Yeah, it's all over. Tell me everything. Teach me your ways. No, I, I have to be on the. Podcast. Do I have to get an Apple Watch? <laughs> Man. No, you, no Apple watches for you, Norm. Um, I want to send dick pics. So I did the math on the on the uh, Mul- multicolor. Now you can draw multiple colors now. To get blue veins. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Will. Um, it's okay. We interrupt each other on the show. It's the defining factor, characteristic of the show. Sorry. Uh, I did the math on Apple's 
um, like long-term payment plan upgrade for the phone. Plan. Oh, upgrade good plan. Good. Yeah. So I did it for a couple of different phones. The one that I remember off the top of my head is the six plus. So the thing that you get when you do that pay- payment plan is that you pay, I think for the six plus it was $42 a month. You get Apple care, which is now 130 bucks. They jacked up the price a little bit. If you keep the phone, uh, the total cost of that, I'm going to open up the calculator. It's also an sure. unlocked phone. It is an unlocked phone that you can use on any carrier and you can move between carriers, which is any GSM carrier. No. Oh, one carrier. No, because it's all, phone. it's a, the modern iPhones work on CDMA and GSM because LTE is Fantastic. all, is LTE is my understanding, but somebody's going to correct me because I'm sure that's wrong. Um, they all have SIM card slots. Yeah. Okay. Even so Verizon ones. it's 40, it's basically 43 bucks times 24 months is about $1,030, which is about $200. Oh, with the no, no, hold on. So that's for the 64 gig model. Okay. Uh, the 64 gig model is 950 bucks, 980 bucks with Apple Care. So it's 850 plus 130 dollars is 980 bucks. So you're basically paying 40 dollars more for the payment plan over the two years. That's assuming you keep the phone for two years, and you get to keep the phone, and you keep the phone at the end of two years. Now. That's an okay deal if you're going to keep the phone for two years. And that, you know, if you don't want to pay $1,000 up front for your phone, which is fucking A, uh, and you can't get a subsidy, mm-hmm. or you don't, want to, you don't want to stick with your current provider, for you want to be able to move it around. For example, an AT&T plan where if you just want uh, to bring your own phone for, mm-hmm. and you're paying for data and uh, the one line, yeah. two gigs of data a month plus your unlimited text and call stuff will cost $55 a month. So... If you if you do this plan, you're paying uh, the equivalent of the AT&T Next. You're paying almost hundred bucks, but uh, which is the the price I pay for a two year contract. But you don't have to pay that down payment for the phone. Oh, right. and you have a portable phone. Yeah, there's no down payment. And for this. you have a portable phone. You have to pass a credit check. Is worth mentioning. Yeah, because this is a loan. So that is a better um, deal than the two year oh, for two gigs of data, though. Yes. So my understanding is that this was better deal than all of the, especially the Verizon Pay as You Go plan. Um, now. You can also turn the phone in after the end of the first year and just keep getting new iPhones. If you do that, you don't keep the phone. Um, I went and looked at like iPhone 6 Plus 64 gig sale prices on Craigslist last week. The going rate for an iPhone 6 Plus 64 gig in San Francisco as of two days after the Apple event was about 500 bucks. Um, for the for the plus sixty four gig, so it's about the same. So you're well. Hold on, no, it's not. How no? How no? So you pay five hundred bucks a year to Apple to keep getting the new phones. Right. If you were paying the thousand dollars, or or nine hundred and fifty dollars, yes, you're selling it for five hundred dollars. to $600, then you end up a little bit ahead, but you have to go through the hassle of selling the phone. Okay. I thought you said it was $500. If it's $600, then yes, you're ahead. I mean, the, the, the price, there was a $500 to $600 spread basically looking at, at, um, I I think the upshot is, uh, Apple is not ripping you off if you do this, uh, the, the monthly plan. Plus you get Apple care. You get Apple care plus the versatility of, uh, option of upgrading every year, so really yeah. it's to cater to and moving to those people. to a different provider. And you can buy it out, and if you want, if you want to keep that old phone to give yeah. to a family member, you can buy out the contract yeah. or just wait the two years. Just make sure you have good um, credit. Now, I thought the, one th- one thing I thought was interesting when I, when I pre-ordered my phone was I could not get the AT and T subsidy on no. through the app anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, you can't do the AT and T subsidy on the website or the app. Right, I had to go to AT and T dot com That's in right. order to do that. That's so right. you had to buy the phone through AT and T, not yes, Apple. Oh, correct. you're bone. You're not going to get it on Friday. I'm supposed to. 
Well, you, know? oh, you, you might be right. Yeah. Um, it's This is a super interesting, like, mm. yeah, Norm? Question for Jeremy. What if you just send an appointment and bring it in? Can you do it in store? Mm-mm. Your, two, your two-year contract plan. I don't think so. I don't know. Right? Now, you could do um, um, subsidies through the other carriers, but just not through AT&T. You had to do the AT&T next So program. if you get the subsidy, I think, App, I think AT&T is not doing subsidy anymore. Well, they are and, through their I mean, own site. That's what I'm saying. I think yeah. they're trying to move everybody away from subsidies. Oh, that's clear. So they're making that's it clear. harder. Yeah. Which also means that, Norm, you got to make sure they didn't change your contract to the non-unlimited. No, I, I'm definitely on, on unlimited. You paid full price. I pay full price. Okay. You're on unlimited still? Hell yeah. Me not, too, dude. You know, and you know what? People have asked, why are you unlimited? Because I used 16 gigs two months ago. Jesus. In one month. And you were throttled after five, but no longer, my friend. But no longer, my friend, because now they offer 15 oh, gigs. Before they throttle you. Your then, gamble has totally paid off. Totally paid off. You know how long it's been since we got anything from AT&T? Or the <laughs> us grandfathered in? Do you have, can you even use Wi-Fi hotspots yet? No. Wow, man. We, well, I can on Android. And we can't. Oh, because you cheat. Yeah. We, we well, can't. Because it's, yeah. it's a regular Nexus. You mean can you create a Wi-Fi hotspot? Yeah. Right. No. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that is worth changing in and of itself. I know. And, and that may be the, the tipping factor. And I, the, one of the reasons I've used so much data is because I don't pay for hotel internet. I only Wi-Fi hotspot. Oh, Jesus. Okay, that explains and, a and lot. And LTE is super fast. Yeah, it's good. Especially if you're someplace where there's not a ton of people. Yeah, and I travel a lot, so why pay $15 a night or $20 or whatever it is at the Hilton yeah. when I can get 30 megabits per second on LTE and get so you guys can have dragon con photos they boosted it you uploaded that whole gallery over lte twice fucking at shit the airport all your slr photos yes dude 800 megs bananas uh, they upped twice. it to 22 gigs not oh, 15 even 22 even yeah. better yeah that's good i wonder if, if i came back to 18 do you think they'd give me my unlimited plan back <laughs> this like, is why i'm gonna hey even guys. though i'll be i'll have an iphone to review i'm gonna keep the android phone as my mifi and just swap out the sim cards and use the hotspot could, you know what you should do just oh, you're not on you're not on a family plan. No, I'm not a family plan. I was gonna say if you're on a family plan, you just pay an extra ten bucks, you get another SIM card, you can use them both at the same time. That's true. But then you're not unlimited anymore. But then you got, the yeah, you got to be twenty five bucks per. It's twenty five bucks per SIM card. Wow. Yeah, it's only ten on Verizon. I know. Um, okay, the last thing is that Apple's move to iOS Android app is now live. You're gonna test this yep. when you get your iPhone six plus. That's right. The Duke two. Uh, I'm with new names. We're gonna call it the Dukey. Nope. No. Nope. We'll call for something. <laughs> what's what's your norm name is phone? You guys tell us. Um The Baron. <laughs> should the, the the Duchess. That's my watch. Uh should we uh Baroness. Oh, fantastic. Should we talk about clocks right in school? Itself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean probably the biggest story this week, uh related to not only global news or national news, but also making maker, racism, maker all sorts of stuff. Uh, as I'm sure you guys have heard, uh, Ahmed Muhammad, a uh, 14 year old uh, kid in Irving, Texas was arrested freshman in high school. Yes. Arrested for bringing a clock. He made, um, he soldered together and, uh, to show to his engineering teacher. Now there's not much else of the story that isn't already out there except for let's just share in our outrage of the ridiculousness of his situation well just to make to clarify what you just said the engineering teacher as i understand thought it was cool and recommended that ahmed not show it to any other teachers right and so when he was in another class that later that day the clock went off the right. alarm went off in his backpack in his backpack and then that teacher freaked out <laughs> an english teacher um yep uh police officers came to the school kept him in a room for an Hour 45 minutes, a, I think. 
he said an hour and a half oh. uh, last night. Um, and I don't know. What, what, even if, let's say 45 minutes. That's way too long. How many times can you ask a kid, what is this? Well, well, it's a clock I made. I mean, you use Why the Jack Bauer technique. You say, what is this? And then you say, it's louder. a clock I made. And then you say, what is this? <laughs> it's the clock I made. Um, Poor guy. Ridiculous. And then he was taken to juvie to be fingerprinted and then mm. still suspended. Yeah. So he, and he, they said he, it was a bomb. This is we we missed the well, well, we missed they, the we buried the lead okay. here. The teacher thought it was a bomb. Right. When the cops came in and investigated it, they what they charged him. What the reason they didn't charge him, but the reason he went to juvie was they thought and the reasons he suspended it. They called it a hoax bomb. Right. And but he never claimed it was a bomb. Absolutely. That's. that's I mean, that's his story. Yes. Obviously, it really um, doesn't look like a bomb either. And it doesn't. You'd have to be an idiot. Yes, you'd have to be able to look at a you know a uh, like a board with those wires and yeah. and a it was timer. it wasn't a silver briefcase. It this was in a pen this pen, is, pen pencil holder, wasn't no, it? Oh, the, no, no, not I, the photo I saw, but it just smacks <coughs> of somebody who's watched too much drama TV. Here, here's the thing: is if they thought it was a real bomb and they left him in the school for 45 minutes to talk to him and find out that it was a, whether it was a real bomb or not. Like that's, that's criminally negligent, right? The cops. My, my assumption is that they quickly realized it wasn't a real bomb and then, but they did not know his intent. And I think what they were trying to do was find out, did he intend to, you know, s- s- oh. the hoax bomb intent. So you think they tried to like trick him into a confession? I, I don't know. And I don't Fucking want to speculate, cops. but the whole, Sorry, I like it, cops generally, even, that's shitty. So charges were dropped almost. Charge, uh, of course, of but course. he was still suspended until today, which is no shit. Stupid. And he said he's going to move schools. Um, and the statement that the, the, the refusal to accept any type of blame and wrongdoing on both of the police department and the school's part, um, which I'm sure, for legal reasons, uh, is just is ridiculous. Like, so I'm going to read the statement because it's it's outstanding. This is from the school principal. This right? is yeah. This is the Texas. So he's he's in Dallas. Um, a woman on Twitter responded to me and said that the parents in the school, she her kid goes to the same school, and she said that the parents are absolutely raising hell. Great. At which I said, go fucking fight the good fight, man. So the letter comes from the Irving Independent School District. This is from Daniel Cummings, who's the principal, and it also has Jose Para, who's the superintendent on the thing. Dear parents, guardians, slash guardians, in Irving ISD and at MacArthur High School, your child's safety and well-being is always our top priority, and we want to maintain open, honest, and timely communication with you. If there were ever, if there was ever an imminent threat to your child, we would take immediate necessary precautions, and we would inform you immediately. So, if we thought this was a real threat, we wouldn't have locked the kid in the room and tried to get a confession out of him for 45 minutes. While we do not have any threats to our school community, that's bolded, do not have... We want you to be aware that the Irving Police Department responded to a suspicious-looking item on campus yesterday. We are pleased to report that after the police department's assessment, the item discovered at school did not pose a threat to your child's safety. Our school is cooperating fully with the ongoing police investigation. We are handling the situation in accordance with the Irving ISD Student Code of Content Conduct and applicable laws. Please rest assured that we will always take necessary steps to keep our school as safe as possible. I recommend using this opportunity to talk with your child about the student code of conduct and specifically not bringing items to school that are prohibited. 
Also, this is a good time to remind your child how important it is to immediately report any suspicious items and or suspicious behavior they observe to any school employee so we can address it right away. We will always take necessary precautions to protect our students. Thank you for your understanding and support of MacArthur High School as we do everything we can for your child's safety. Clocks, apparently. Suspicious looking clocks. Prohibited. I mean, obviously, it... it, it There's a larger discussion more than just you know the kid ringing his clock to school, and while we won't dive too much into uh, the politics of that area and that city, and and, uh, there was a conversation we had. Look, Um, he was wearing a NASA shirt. Also, right on, man. He was wearing a NASA T-shirt, which he's still wearing in his interviews, and uh, uh, and obviously um, you know an outpouring of support from um, the media, from people on social. Um, social networking. Uh, Neil Dash, actually, who we mentioned earlier, was the one who pop- was who retweeted that fo- photo of him in handcuffs with a great expression on his face. Yes, like, that's what that that photo really? helped. Yeah. Didn't um, help this go viral. You know, um, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, all tweeted support. But he's uh, been invited to the White House. Yeah. next month for oh, an yes. astronomy night. Yes, that tweet was pretty good. He should go. Cool yes. clock, Ahmed. Want to bring it to the White House? He's invited to Facebook, to MIT, to tour mm-hmm. lab. He's yeah. got a full scholarship to space camp. Nice. The kid's yeah. doing all right now. This could have been a local story, but it thankfully it blew up. This is what the internet's for, man. <laughs> yeah. Fostering rage and at the, at the small-minded policies of small-town America school systems. Well, it, again, it always goes back to empathy, and it just yes. seemed like there just wasn't enough of it in that school at that time. Right on. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to some more tech news. Yeah. Um, Hold on. Oh, Amazon had an event today. They introduced two new things, I think. A $50 Fire tablet and the Fire a new Fire TV. That's correct. Um, I'm interested in the Fire TV because the rumor was that it was going to integrate Alexa. And that's true. So uh, the new TV uh, still is a set-top box. Um, and it's you know more powerful CPU. It can do 4K. Mm. Um, is so, there content for 4K? Well, he I asks, think knowing the answer, and, and and I think you know along with the Nvidia Shield uh, will be one of the few devices that will allow for the, the proper encrypting for Netflix 4K. Okay. Um, and of course, Amazon being its own content distributor, obviously, and produces its own shows, is looking forward to that. Uh, it's still 100 bucks, and it has a remote that you can now tap into Alexa. Now, this is the thing, obviously, uh, Apple uh, has Siri very heavily integrated in Apple TV now, and uh, we're going to hold Amazon to the same standard, I think, where uh, the disappointment I had with Apple last week not really leveraging Apple TV the way I hoped they would. Um, yeah, as a ubiquitous hub a ubiquitous for your home. Hub, always on. And Amazon already having that Alexa device, you know, as... I are you referring to the microphone array that Alexa yes, has? You want, to be able, you want to be able to talk to Look, it from yes. anywhere. All I want is a stumpier Alexa with no speaker that you plug HDMI in in no the living speaker. room. I don't give a shit about the speaker if I'm plugging it into the TV. Well, I, mean, that's, that's an I guess it needs device. a little bit of a speaker. Yeah. But I, like... If they put the Apple TV, the Fire TV inside the the Echo, done, perfect. That's all I want. Right on. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's a simple thing, really. So Alexa is not always on. You have to hold down the button on the remote to talk to her. Is that right? On the, on so. the Fire TV. On the Fire TV. That's right. our understanding. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's full Alexa. Can she do all the same things? 
Is this going to open up Alexa to new customers now? I think so. She'll be able yeah. to order things and, from and you. Yes. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's the way to think of it. Because Amazon has Echo, um, and you know, they're assuming that they want to get their customers accustomed to Alexa if they just are interested in a set-top streaming box. Then maybe they'll do this, and they'll have access to that service um, uh, in the living room with the remote. And then they'll maybe have an echo in their office or their bedroom or the kitchen. And that's the way they'll get in every room. It's not, yeah. how do you get microphones in every room? Well, you have to have them in devices in every room. And not every device is going to be a universal, um, you know, omnidirectional microphone. I hope that they get, there's, I mean, there's going to be issues, right? If somebody holds down, maybe people don't say Alexa if they hold the button down. So that's going to get around any problems of both Alexas waking up at the same time. But I hope that they get on top of this meshing together multiple Alexas quickly. Because I would like to have one in every room, please. That's kind of where I, I like w- when I added the ability to control lights to Alexa. Yeah. I'm 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 increasingly of that opinion. Yeah, it's also my SD card slot. Really? Aha. Uh-huh. Hmm. that's interesting. That's cool. So you can put your own videos on there. Just um, drop them on. Is the old Fire TV? Are they adding Alexa to it? Because it has a remote already. It has a voice remote. There's no reason they couldn't. I mean, I would think. I don't know. What do I know, really? It's a good question. Um, we'll find out. I have one at home. I, don't, I stopped using it because I liked the Roku 3 a lot better. But if, it had, uh, if, if I could plug that into the TV in the bedroom, I would totally use the Fire TV instead of the Roku just because of the, of the Alexa integration. So uh, the new tablet, though, uh, there are several of them. But yeah. there was one that's a 7-inch tablet, uh, a little thicker than the uh, previous models. Um, Quad-core, 1.3 gigahertz processor, only gig of RAM. But... Let me go ahead and tell you what's happening here. They have now sold enough tablets in enough different markets to know that the kind of people who are going to buy a $50 tablet will buy some shit from Amazon to use on that tablet. So they're saying, look, we can make a $120 device and we can get the $70 back and more if we get it out in more hands. It's a single-use device. That's what they want. They want people to think of it as... um, Commodities, disposable, not disposable in the sense that you can just throw it away and want, but you don't need to covet it and, pre- and it doesn't need to be precious. Um, where you can have one, you know, the convenience of having one in the bedroom and having one in the office where all your content is synced um, is compelling when they cost $50 each. I mean, this is, a, this is this problem when your kid wants a tablet, here you go. Although they make a kid tablet too that they replace, replace it's 100 bucks and they'll replace it if your kid smashes it, which is actually pretty compelling. Or you can buy five of these $50 tablets and get a sixth one for free. <laughs> Which is not actually a joke. I'm not even kidding. Um, this is... it's How much capacity is this thing? It, it's eight gigs, but it has a micro SD card slot or an SD card slot, one or the other. Where's the hatred now? What do you mean? Well, the iPhone has 16. Well, this costs $50 and that costs 1000 Yeah. Okay. Um, Fair point. I, I think... I mean, I'm interested in this. I can't imagine it's going to be a really great experience. The other interesting thing that's worth mentioning is that they have on the order page, it is super duper easy to um, buy a ton of accessories. They have a standing case. They have a slim case. They have a protective case. They have a screen protector. They have a memory card. They have a warranty and accident protection. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're going to try to upsell you on a bunch of different stuff. And I'm sure it's also going to have ads, which is fine for 50 bucks. So I think uh, in terms of the, what we're going to cover, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get a Fire TV, the new one, with Alexa, and I will get the $50 tablet. 
and I don't. I'm not really interested in their two hundred thirty dollar Fire t- TV, uh, the the ten inch one, or the one in the Fire HD ten. Yeah, Fire HD ten or Fire HD eight. No. I mean, I, I don't, I think that the 50, 50 and a hundred dollar range, like the hundred dollar kids tablets kind of, kind of interesting. Um, I, I think that that price range puts them in a completely unique space in the tablet market, which is good for them. Um, and I, it will have sponsored screensavers. Right. Of course. <laughs> Unsurprising that. Huh. Um, what's next on our list? We have a uh, uh, Microsoft event. It's October 6th. You're going to be there, Norm. It's in That's New right. York, uh, New York City. Yes, I will just so happen uh, be in New York the date that Microsoft is rumored to have a press event, um, of which very convincing-looking invitations were published by websites. What an amazing coincidence, Norm. Um, so uh, I'm very excited for the fall, for what, what looks uh, the future of the Surface Surface Pro, um, and the rumors are that there will be other Windows 10 devices there as well. Uh, so keep an eye out October 6th. They'll also be live streaming this. Why were you uh, rumored, presumably? Why was I? Yeah, why were you going to be in New York on what happens to be the rumored date for this rumored event? In, uh, well, if there is City an event, then I better City. go. Okay. You're just, you're just, uh, you're going to go get a couple of dollar slices. That's right. Have a, have, hit the whole all cart. Hit the, hit the all cart, watch some Broadway. Go get a pork bun. Uh, go visit the, uh, oh my God, go, go visit the museum. My the favorite museum. American, um, oh, the film, film, the Museum of Moving Image. Yeah, over in Queens. Mm. Yeah, have have some ramen. Uh, maybe there's there's only so much you can do in one day. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a challenge. Um, uh, the Android lock screen bypass using a long password. I don't know what this is. Somebody, but this is worth mentioning. Today's a listener's choice episode. Um, because we were out at the nerd night thing until 11 o'clock last night. I didn't make show notes last night after I came home. So uh, thanks to the users who dumped all of this stuff in uh, to the show notes for us earlier this morning. Um, Altus bought Cablevision. Those are two big cable companies, I think, in Canada, maybe. I don't know. Maybe Wisconsin. Uh, there's an Android lock screen bypass using a long password. Did you know about this, Norm? Uh, I did read about it, but I don't know all the details. The exploit has already been fixed through a security update. Perfect. Google Nexus devices. Move along. Oh, is it just a Google Nexus uh, flaw? I don't know. I, you, I don't know. Um, well, just reading the thing. Okay. This is an Engadget article. It says, um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yep. It doesn't work if you're using a pin code or a pattern unlock. Um, the odds that you fall prey to this attack are not particularly high. Okay, never mind. Moving along. Um, we talked about move to iOS. Um, the, the, this is interesting. So the lossless images from New Horizons are starting to come in for the Pluto pictures. Lossless? Lossless. No way. Well, I mean, they're still compressed, but they're losslessly compressed. Yeah, yeah, it's still. That's it's, cool. I'm going to go ahead and tell you if you thought the JPEGs looked really neat, you should go yeah, spend dude. a couple of minutes in their archive. We're talking about the one kilobit connection, right? This is a yeah. slow connection. It runs all the time. Super cool. Yeah, um, if you go to the Deep Space Network, you can see how many... Every, once every few days, they move everything over to point to, to Voyager, mm-hmm. which is you know billions of miles away or millions of miles away, really long, long way away. Um, and they have to aim like multiple telescopes around the world at the same spot to hear, to get a signal back. No, oh, no way. Um, but the... the uh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, think about that. Yeah. Scientists, um, man. They work together. It's fucking A. Uh, the the uh, Pluto pictures are pretty outstanding. Like the there was a picture of Sharon 
where you can just see unbelievable detail and you see that big ice, that white spot with the ice dome. And it's really, really neat. Um, so they drop images, images drop on Thursday. Um, and, uh, basically they, they have some context up for a few of them by Friday is the idea. So that somebody who knows what they're talking about looks at them and says, here's what you're seeing. These are some pretty pictures. Uh, I think it's a good time to uh, take a brief moment and have a word from our uh, corporate overlords. Norman Chan. Hey, Walt. Uh, do you know anything about building software in the cloud? Well, I know that uh, there's a company, the sponsor of this week's podcast, Ooh. one of the sponsors, uh, SoftLayer does exactly just that. They're an IBM company, and uh, they... Uh, they have cloud resources to meet your business application and computational workload needs. You know, one of the things that I always want in a cloud provider is somebody that can provision dedicated servers and virtual servers, like a public cloud, from a single seamless platform. That means I can get raw metal cloud servers all working together, all on demand, all connected via the same open API, all connected to a global private network. So I could transfer data from like Wisconsin down to Florida and then back to California, all privately inside the the, the virtual network, virtual private network. Um, and I can scale my workloads up and down quickly, which is what everybody needs in today's fast paced business environment. That's right. And it's an, an, uh, an IBM company. International and Business Machines? That's right. IBM uses SoftLayer as its cloud infrastructure foundation for all its IBM cloud products and services. So uh, you could already be using it. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast and it's something that you are, you're a developer and you need cloud services, uh, you can actually get $500 off of building a new cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast. So, so what does that mean? You can order bare metal servers. You can order virtual servers. You can order storage, networking security services from your choice of data centers around the world. There are 24 of them. That's right. Um, all of them are connected to their network, uh, which separates uh, private, public, and management traffic. Uh, so that's all automated, and you can control it with a granular API or their easy-to-use software customer portal. Again, $500 off server, storage, network, and security uh, just by going to softlayer.com slash podcast. Offer valid for new customers only for up to $500 off the first order for the first billing cycle of servers and services with any of SoftLayer's data centers around the world. Only valid on monthly servers and services. For more information on this offer, please visit softlayer.com slash podcast. And on with the show. I like reading the, the fine print at the bottom. That was kind of fun. We haven't had a fine print ad yet. Um, Norm, wait, wait. That's it's so t- loud, man. What? That's loud when you do that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. Wait, wait. It's time for the uh, for the VR minute. Indeed. Norman Chan, the PlayStation Sony Morpheus has a new name. No longer Morpheus, King of Dreams, or. Lawrence Fishburne from The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is Morpheus now called? They gave it a the most descriptive name imaginable. It's called PlayStation VR. Mm-hmm. No, come on now. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, PlayStation VR. So it's great. It, so they announced this at TGS. They showed a bunch of software. Did you watch any of the software stuff that they showed? No. So they showed some like um, I, I I don't. There's a category name for them. They look like virtual girlfriend apps to me. Ooh. Um. It was a little weird. 
I didn't watch the whole thing because <laughs> it was we've been really busy. Um, I saw mention of external processors again, which is interesting because when we've asked before, we like one of the big questions I have about PlayStation Four and virtual reality is how is a you know low to mid range PC equivalent going to generate sixty to one hundred twenty frames a second you know video times two. Uh, so that people can use that thing and not throw up. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, they didn't talk about that. Then they talked about frame doubling from 60 frames a second to 120 frames a second, which I think is probably an okay, but maybe not perfect solution. It's not doubling though. It does use like an asynchronous kind of time warp, right? They're, like they're they're doing some they're, yeah. they're doing some mojo so they get 120 frames per second cheaper than they would be able to yes. get 90 frames a yes. second. Yes, like the PC. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And there will be a 90 hertz mode, right, for developers. But the big question is on a console that is currently having trouble running 60 frames a second on like, you know, current release titles. Yes. How are they going to do that times two without having to scale back the art a ton? Um, so when we asked them at E3, they said, no, no external coprocessor at all. It's just, you plug it into the, into the console and that's it. Has that changed? I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's changed. I mean, I don't think. So. I think whatever, it's all PlayStation power. Whatever you read, it, there's certainly something on there that's managing the accelerometers and the gyros and things. Maybe that's what they're talking about. But I don't think that there's any serious external GPU pro- processing. Um. Okay. Right. I mean, it's it's a 1080p display. It's a, it's not terribly high res. It's the same as a DK2, right? Or is that even lower res? That's a 1080p, isn't it? DK2 is 1080. Yeah, I can't so remember. It's just 1920 so by 1080. So each eye gets 960 by 1080. Um, it's a 100 degree FOV. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know runs over HDMI and USB. It's OLED screen. It's you know it's not terribly taxing. I mean, as far as the other VR platforms, as go. opposed to the dual screens and the Vive and right. the and the uh, CV1 from yeah. Oculus. Yeah, and you know, for developers, they can target. You know, they can develop natively for 120 hertz. They can do 60 with the asynchronous, right? Uh, or they can do 90. Try 90. Yeah, the PlayStation expects the 60 to 120 conversion to be the most popular. That's right. Yeah, they have a lot of titles announced for this. I'm super psyched um, about it. I and, mean, yeah, to get Sony behind VR is is a wonderful thing. It's a it's a big deal, and I it, it showed like the stuff that they showed. I like I said, I didn't get to watch a ton of it, but they had stuff like Keep Talking, Nobody Explodes. We've talked about a ton. Um, they had things like Super Hypercube, and then they also had some smaller experiences that are tied to AAA releases, which is something we talked about with them a little bit in at, at E3. Uh, but it seems like those are going to be kind of like standalone, not exactly not. It's not like you'll play the full game in VR. You'll have a standalone separate experience. It's yeah. a VR experience that uses assets from that game or something like that yeah so it seems cool it sounds good to me and honestly the frame rates are not limited just by the hardware it's also a factor of how much are you going to try to push to the hardware yeah so they can do they can scale down the graphics and get a great experience so uh the other thing that's happened recently is you guys have both had a chance to use tilt brush um more i know norm you saw it at gdc jeremy i think you had your first experience a couple days ago yep um Tilt Brush, if you don't know, is a 3D painting app that uses a virtual canvas. So instead of instead of painting on a 2D surface like you do with Photoshop or paint, Fractal Design Painter or something like that, you're literally inhabiting the virtual space and you paint with the Vive wands or presumably Oculus Touch wands or PlayStation Move sticks, whatever. Um, and you can like the the you're painting in 3D space. 
Um, when we when we saw that at GDC, Norm, all I wanted to do after that part of the demo was done was to go back and do more painting. Oh yeah, and it's a it's a demo that really takes advantage of the uh, area that you can work with in uh, at least with the vibe demos, doing a fifteen by fifteen or ten by fifteen, a large walking area. Um, really, really takes advantage. Uh, really. Uh, Augments the experience of drawing in a 3D space because even if you think about your sculpting, right? If you're sculpting um, a bust uh, ahead and it's something in front of you, you want to be able to walk around it or you know spin it around you. Um, and I think the the floor mat four by four space that uh, we've seen previously uh, with some of the Oculus demos doesn't take advantage of that as much. This is a full walking around experience. Um, the controls. Well, there's quite a lot of, of depth going on too when you can draw something right in front of you and then actually walk into it. Yeah, there's a, there, it's a perfect example of the near field VR right. that people talk about that is the maybe the best use of VR so far. So when we mention that, um, when you talk about that, uh, games like Elite Dangerous are not near field VR. While the cockpit and stuff is, exactly. is modeled and it's around, you're focusing at infinity for most of the time. And stereoscopy doesn't doesn't take advantage of stereoscopy. That's it. But when you have games like Super Hypercube where the objects, and there there are been experiments about finding that perfect distance of the object to manipulate because just like with watching 3D movies you know you don't want objects too close to your face your eyes can get cross-eyed or, or not cross-eyed in VR but like your brain has to do more work there is a perfect distance um, and for painting with a in tilt brush because you are positioning yourself in relation to what you're painting you actually find the most comfortable spot for you as a yeah. painter. When you th- think of a Norman Walkwell and how someone can step back further away from their painting or go up to the canvas, uh, you're doing that except in a 3D space, and then the, and then actually you can scale up your art because it's all just vectors, um, and it really changes the way you think about creating art. Um, your hand movement, because you're also being positionally tracked in a 3D space, also has to be changed. It's no longer you know drawing with a stylus on a tablet. If you draw a circle, your circle look from look from the side can be tilted, and it can be flat. And like it, when you or, look at it on yeah. the side, it disappears if you're using the wrong that's brush. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So to draw a sphere, a real globe, a sphere in VR, you have to sculpt it. It's it's not really sculpting because it's additive. Well, that's true. It's right. like reverse yeah. sculpting. Then what is yeah. it? You're, it's it's drawing. drawing. Yes, you're. you're I mean, it's completely. So I spent a little, maybe a little more time, more time than you have, Norm. But it it it's. Like the first thing I was like I did because I'm kind of simple is I tried to draw a pyramid, like an actual rather than a 2D representation of a pyramid, which I can do pretty consistently. I tried to draw an actual three dimensional pyramid, and it took a couple of tries to get it right. Even though it's kind of the simplest of 3D objects that you can draw, doing a sphere, you end up doing these like you start with a small circle at the bottom, and then just can do a, an increasing spiral yeah. until you make something that's big enough that's the, the size you want, and then yeah. you start adding texture and detail to the surface of it. I found that you could draw where in areas that were occluded. You couldn't actually see them, but you had such a sense of the space that you could draw in, you know, fill in gaps, and then yeah. look around, and you had done it properly. So what the uh, the tilt brush people have to do, and I think they did pretty well, and this is also, uh, people may have seen the, uh, the Glenn Keane, the Disney and Animator, uh, he actually used Tilt Brush. Son of Bill um, Keen, creator yeah. of Family Circus. You guys posted it on your site, yeah, right? I, I think this is a really compelling video everybody really? should watch. And he's, he's, My dad sent me that video. Yeah. He was like, you should see this video. It's about VR. You're going to love it. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Dad. 
dead. But it, that, it's on that the is side on brush. Thursday. Um, but when you think of um, you know a stylus, a digitizer on um, let's not say the iPad Pro, but on a traditional Entrig or a Wacom stylus, you know when you hover your your pen over the uh, screen, there is a cursor, right? There is a visual indicator of where the point you're going to be drawing is. The VR space. They need because you're using the tip of the the wand as the the point. Um, they need to really identify that in the VR space. And they do that with a kind of its own like little globe globe thing, where you have to, like the center of that sphere is the pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're drawing, you know not just in the two D space but also in the three D space where your cursor is. Uh, and then because you know uh, at least this de- this demo was modeled after the Vive controllers. Um, the Vive controllers are physically or digitally represented in the virtual space, um, and you have the circular touchpads which you can use to navigate one to one as well. So, scrolling on your whatever your drawing hand is, left to right, will change the paintbrush size so much better than on a in Photoshop dragging. Well, there's the, a whole set of tools that you rotate around right. around your left so, controller that are yes. controlled with that touchpad. Right, so, so on one hand, your drawing hand, you can change your paintbrush size, and on your left hand, you think of it as a virtual palette, like the painter's palette where you would hold it, you know, the, the painter would hold it. Uh, right, uh, 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 um, all the colors. Yeah, where you have yeah. all the colors and hold like a tray. Mm-hmm. And instead of holding a tray, you're holding a wand, and it's like a f- augmented reality. Yeah, it's very um, cool. Holographic pop-up, very Mass Effect like, but because all of that is positionally tracked and kind of hovering, it doesn't. It feels like that is actually there, even though it's not. And yeah. you, your brain instantly reconciles. Okay, that's a holographic display that I can point at icons on. And you use it by taking your right hand, which is your paintbrush, and pointing it at that mm-hmm. interface, and yeah. then things enlarge based on where you're pointing. It's really intuitive. I thought that's that how you change great colors. It's how you change your your tool brushes. How you un- save and access all the menus. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the future, if you project forward, you know, where you don't need to just track and have that model after the HTC Vive, if you're tracking some, you know, a wristband or some type of... Your IPDs on fingers and hands, right. whatever, yeah. You could, yeah. you could pull up your holographic as long as the, yeah. there are physical points, rigid points Minority that are, are tracked. You can do Mass Effect um, yeah. holographic pop-ups, and that will feel completely natural in the virtual environment. Like, like that stuff is super, that's super that's super the most interesting thing about tilt brush to me is how quickly you adapt to using that interface yeah. with the with the wands and and um, how quickly even like after using it for a while like I said it changed my ability to draw 3D stuff on 2D planes has changed because of the time I've spent using tilt brush how so. Um, I'm much better at it than I was before. And I think it's because when you draw the 3D shape in the 3D world and mm-hmm. then you can kind of look at it from a bunch of different ways, I just know what that, I know I know how to get the lines lined up right so hmm. that it's all, it works on 2D space now better. So now your pyramids are just epic. I, I can draw a dope fucking pyramid on a piece <laughs> of paper now. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I will blow your mind with my pyramid drawing skills. Um, is that it for VR Minute? Anything no. else? Um... I think that's it. Yeah. That's, and oh, Oculus Connect next week. Yeah, we're all going to be there. Uh, except well, except for Jeremy. Jeremy. Sorry. No, thanks a lot, dude. Uh, Sorry, but Jeremy. But well, uh, the keynotes will be live streamed, uh, so please watch along with us. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Are you going to the keynote? Yes. I'll be flying in Wednesday. Morning. Thursday is keynotes. Thursday. So the conference opens on Wednesday. Wednesday night. Uh, some panels on Wednesday and uh, okay. meet and greet Wednesday night and then Thursday morning. We should talk about our strategy for this. Um, I'm playing some music and then we're going to talk about the rest of the news. 
Uh, so Nintendo has a new president. Uh, Satoru Iwata died a few weeks ago, kind of unexpectedly, I think, at least for us unexpectedly. Um, and they announced the the new president's Tatsumi Kimishima, I think is right. Is that sounds good? Um, who previously seemed to work in like logistics or something at Nintendo, right? Our internet is failing now, of course. Um, but Forbes had a had a. Uh, it's possible that he's not going to uh, uh, be around too long. And my understanding is that he thought that the Wii U was not a great idea. Um, and they're doing a corporate reorg, as sometimes happens during this kind of stuff. Um, his moves are designed to strengthen and enhance the management structure of the company, according to the Nintendo statement. And he's only the fifth president of Nintendo. I didn't realize that. Hundred hmm. year plan. Um, Did you know that Shigeru Miyamoto was interim running the company right now? Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, and uh, with someone else. Yeah, with Genyo Takeda. Right, that's right. It's like Johnny Ive would never want to be CEO, but yeah, right. He could. He definitely take the reins for a little bit. I'm I'm glad that they didn't put Miyamoto in charge because I'd much rather like. Oh no! If I had the choice for Miyamoto to do something, I want him making more games. Yes, please. As many as he can make for as long as he can. He wants to keep doing it. How is Mario Maker? It is really really cool what we've been testing right Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute yeah yeah um let's see there's a any of these other stories you guys want to talk about the witness has a release date the headline doesn't tell me what the release date is see this is when you're doing listeners choices (laughs) the excellent thing to do is to put the actual information that's relevant to the story in the blurb because the point of doing listeners choices usually we haven't had time to do that uh jonathan blow released the release date for his upcoming follow-up to 20 2008's indie hit braid according to polygon it's going to come to ps4 and windows pcs January 26, 2016. Sweet. Wow. That's a long time from now. This game has been in development for a long-ass time. Yep. Uh, and there's a trailer that goes with the release date. So if you want to see what The Witness is going to look like... Hell yes. I'm going to go in cold. I, I don't want to know anything else. Well, here, here's... I mean, I'm sure the game will have a lot of big ideas, and uh, I hope it'll be fun. Uh, the indie gaming scene has changed completely since Braid. And so there's a lot more competition. Yeah, it was one of the, it eyeballs. was one of the first indie hits. Yeah, there's a lot of there's actually been a lot of talk about that on like the indie message boards and and on Twitter about uh, people who have done postmortems of their games that didn't have, you know, that that released a game and then sold three copies a day until they decided to pack it in and do something else. Um, and how it's become much more like the traditional publishing world where you have to, you know, have an established marketing plan and, and really, you know, be smart about how you get word of your game out there. Um, word on the street is that Facebook's going to add a dislike button. Well, an empathy button. What does um, empathy mean? Norm? Well, you what know, when is, people post, uh, stories like, um, you know, there's my cat died. Yes. Your, your pet passed away. Yes. Um, liking it seems very weird. You know, there's there's a I understand and I support your posting, but the word like has too many connotations. And so, you know, instead of a dislike, like I don't like your post, there's a empathy I I relate with you hmm. type thing. That's that cool. Coming. I think they're still experimenting. With. I think these are both. Is this two buttons or is this one button? That's the thing I've, I'm not sure about. I want to say it's the one button. I don't think they're ex- going to explicitly put a uh, a what you posted was bad. Okay, so it, it is it is explicitly not a downvote other people's stuff. It's not a you suck button. It is, man, that sucks. There's a report button for that. Okay. Like for stuff that you just don't want to see. Um, and then also you can mute. Yeah, yeah, like that's the other thing is you yeah. can mute stuff that like see, if you were like this. Yeah. 
Um, if I don't want to see any more of your six inch uh, figures posted on Facebook, I just mute them and then they, they go away. Um, the NASA, the, oh, uh, see now this is a good one. Office 2016 is coming out next week. I feel like that tells that entire story. <laughs> Moving on. Um, do we want to follow up the NASA logo design Kickstarter last week? Uh, there's a Kickstarter. I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, but they're I don't think so. re-releasing the worm manual, uh, the, the style guide for the worm logo that NASA rolled out in the late 70s or early 80s. Late 70s. 1975. And this <clears throat> is not NASA doing this. So no. let's, let's be clear. Um, the story of the NASA worm logo is a, it's, it's a great one. Uh, there's a design firm. Uh, that was hired to rebrand NASA. And as when rebrands happen, in addition to just logos being happened, there's a design language for the entire organization that needs to be done. So there, for um, in this case, it's called the Graphic Standards Manual. Now, there was a nice... Um, uh, it's actually actually a really old interview, um, a retrospect of like the story of the Worm logo and then how the meetings went to come up with it and what people thought of it at the time. Um, that's got really popularized over uh, in the past month or so, uh, and which then linked to a Flickr page, which had uh, some photos of that original graphic standards manual, uh, but not high resolution enough that you could really scrutinize all the details. So two uh, graphic designers who had previously worked on, I believe, in a Manhattan um, uh, design Kickstarter, uh, a book, uh, graphic, the graphic standards manual. Um, they uh, got in touch with the original designers, the firm of uh, Dan and Blackburn, and they f- convinced them to hand over a copy of the, uh, one of the original copies that they had of the graphic standards manual, rescan it, um, remaster it, quote unquote, and then uh, release it as a uh, as a published document, uh, which they launched as a Kickstarter. Now, the graphic standards manual is in public domain because it's a it's a NASA paid for it, tax dollars paid for it, but it's restricted. Um, you, the Code of Federal Regulations, 14 CFR 1221, oh. says that these should only be reproduced from their original reproduction proofs, transparencies, or computer files hmm. available from the NASA headquarters. So I think that means you can't do derivative works. Yes. The, um, the Kickstarter wanted $158,000. Yeah. That's a lot to print something. over 750000 People want and copies of these books. They're only halfway done with the Kickstarter. In uh, 18 days ago, that's right. Uh, and they're they're not cheap books. They're $80 per book. Um, I assume this is going to be a fancy book, right? I, I hope so. Fancy, yes. I would really hope so. It's got fold-out pages. <laughs> uh, I like that it has pictures a, of vans with the logo on them, yeah. so you know where to put the logo on the van. It's a, that's my it's favorite a, part. It is a good Kickstarter video, by the way, if anyone wants an example <laughs> of a good Kickstarter video. Well, here, here's my problem with the book, and I did back it. Let's um, hear it. It's not spiral-bound. Like the original. Like the original. It was originally in a three-ring binder. Not right? three-ring, like a multiple. Oh, it was spiral? Like super, or not spiral, but like... Uh, like, it, the, like the rings that go around the... Many, like a notebook. many, many rings. Yeah, those aren't going to hold up. I like it, though. They're I doing, like that stock paper. But they're doing a kind of binding that's supposed to mimic it. Okay. That's probably going to end up being a stretch goal. Uh, Pay an extra so. 25 bucks and get so. the I ring binder. I think they went book. with this for more of an archival purpose. Because it's really hard. It's a hardbound book now. I, mm-hmm. the, the problem I have with hardbound books is that you can't open them I flat. Know, I know. But I, I think anyway, they, they, they tried to solve uh, it. The bigger story is that, as a follow-up, NASA has actually released a PDF of the Graphic Standards Manual. For how much money? Website. For $0 hey, that you bad. couldn't go print yourself. <laughs> and this is actually derived from NASA. So you could actually print this one on and sell it. Um, That's funny. The I, kicks, go the to Kinko's. Hey, guys. That's right. 
I wonder how much it- I'm going to be down at the Kinko's in Colma. And if you want to get one, just come in and give me 20 bucks. You don't have to wait 18 days. Nope. You can have it right then. Now, the uh, the Kickstarter guys do say that their scans are going to be higher quality and their remastering is better quality or whatever. Hey, man, this is uh, it. That's, they have the fucking original source at NASA. This isn't a money grab. This is somebody who really cared about this manual. That, that well, is yeah. a fair point. Y- yes. But they're, they're also making money on this. Yes. Um, if you don't want to spend $80 on a book, I'm, I think both projects are fine. If you don't want to spend $80 on a book, go download the PDF and enjoy it. And I do encourage you to print it out if you have that capability. Um, it's interesting because I, I realized they changed. The worm was retired officially in 1992, which means that you literally like they stopped using it. Um, the space shuttle spanned the worm era and then the return to the meatball. That's true. So that you can tell whether we're talking about post-1992 space shuttle pictures by whether it has the worm logo for NASA or the uh, meatball. The meatball. Oh, I like that. That's a good point. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'm looking at, or I mean, there's a bunch of ways to tell what, what era the shuttle is, whether the fuel tank's orange or white or, you know, whatever. Do you have a preference? Ob- um, obviously, Ahmed likes the new logo. I, which is the old logo. Look, the old logo was touched by Kennedy, right? Kennedy looked at the logo that Eisenhower came up with That's when they right. converted from NACA to NASA. That's right. And um, made a what I think is a really golden age of, of graphic design logo with the meatball. Yep. Like it is, it doesn't work. Like I, 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 Roman Mars, I don't know if you listen, I, you probably don't listen to this podcast because you have a lot of shit to do. I would love to hear a 99 PI on the history of the meatball. Cause like it is, I, I think that they would probably say it's a broken logo in a lot of ways. Like it's a bad font treatment. It doesn't really communicate anything. It's just a neat design. Um, and it has this weird Chevron that kind of goes forward. I really like the meatball. I love the worm. I like the worm. I'm a worm guy. I, I mean, it's look, a, it's a font that looks still looks futuristic. I, I I have a great deal of affinity for the worm. I like both of the logos a lot. I think either one was fine. And honestly, the way the word mark of the NASA of the worm logo works, it's much better on vertical orientations like rockets than mm. than the meatball. Like okay. you can make it much bigger so you can read it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, meatball does make better stickers. I'll say that <laughs> the meatball is a better sticker and a better t-shirt. Like, a, but if you want a hat, the worm, pretty good, big round medallion, not so good on a hat. If you want to put it on the side of a bus, I think the worm is the way to go. Like, especially if it's like a Volkswagen van that you'd use to take people out to the landing pad and back. Uh huh. Totally worm. Okay. Yeah. I think there's room in the world for both the worm and Yikes. the meatball. Why can't we all just get along? Let's man? make you in charge of NASA. Fuck yeah. I would love to be in charge of NASA. I would I would strain some shit out right now. Oh boy. Um, what are your thoughts about the Nexus Five leaks, Norman Chan? Nexus Five, the new Nexus leaks. The, Did we talk the about the 2015 Nexus? Nexus Five price, release date, specs? It's the next thing on the list, as curated by our users. Oh boy, what are the rumors? Uh, it, this was posted by Scott Adam Gordon one day ago on Android Pit. Um, we don't usually do rumors for this specific reason. Uh, the front camera appears to be located at the bottom right of the top speaker. Uh, what's the chase? You buried the lead here, dude. Circular finger scanner positioned below a raised camera lens. It has a pimple. Um, release date will be September 29, according to CNET. A report from CNET. It's going to be a 4K screen, right? Isn't that what I read? Well, the, the idea is that there are two. There's oh, a, okay. There are two, two Nexus phones, a 5X. Um, 
Uh, Snapdragon 808, three gigabytes of RAM, 16 gig, 32 gig versions, uh, 5.2 inch full HD display, and USB Type C. Oh, yeah. 1080p for five inches, perfect. I think that sounds good. Are there 4K phones yet? As opposed to just the 2560 by 440. Yeah. Uh, don't not in any mainstream ones. Okay. Um, I don't see anything about an X on this thing, and the rumor is it's going to be 400 bucks. Or less than four hundred bucks, so that puts it back in the sweet spot for old Nexuses, where it's like a slightly cheaper, but not cheap off-contract option. Um, do you have you watch? Have you either of you watched Mr. Robot yet? No. Oh my god, you've got to watch Mr. Robot, Jeremy. What's that? Mr. Robot is a TV show about uh, computer hackers. Oh, that's actually quite good. Oh, with authentic hacks. Authentic hacks. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, it's really, it's totally worth watching. No, uh, USA. USA. Can I get this on Netflix or? Uh, it's on Hulu, I believe. Okay. Um, from the people that brought you Silk Stockings. It's really good. The it, like, here's the thing: the pilot. I think I said this on Still Untitled the other day to Adam. The pilot, the first 15 minutes of the pilot, is the strongest opening for a new TV show I've ever seen. Whoa, dude! Come on, Except far and away, hyperbole. I, I didn't like the opening of Lost. B- Battlestar Galactica. The pilot or the or, the, the or pilot. fifteen minutes. The pilot was only okay. Oh my goodness. It dragged. Whatever. Now if you if you're talking about the thirty three minutes episode, the first real episode, oh, that is it. one of the best openings of TV show TV two. Okay. This is the opening the opening vignette for this show is is absolutely oh. incredible and riveting. You should watch it. Gotta watch it then. Um, I think we should take a minute, play some music, talk about what we've been testing. I had to learn how to use Keynote this week. Mr. Robot. Oh, good. I'm glad more people are using Keynote. It's really nice. It's like PowerPoint, but good. Doesn't open on Android phones. That's the idea. <laughs> no shit. You remember that day that Steve Jobs uh, announced it? Yeah. He gave it away that same day. Well, he, he was demoing it the and whole event, it. and yeah. then he said, and by the way, we're giving this software, we're making this software. You had him present. I kind of always assumed that it was the tool that Steve Jobs wanted to make Steve Notes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um... What else? I, the other big piece of software I've been using that's unusual is Mario Maker. Uh, it came out last Friday. It's a normal Nintendo Wii U title. Yep. Um, it is. It, there are very frustrating things about it. It is fucking amazing. It's really great. It's a toolkit for making your own Mario levels or nightmarish horror stories. Most of the ones that are online are horrible. Now, I guess we, I should have expected that, but most of them are just filled with every contraption a user could possibly draw on the screen, and they're just meant to be laughed at. I have an, uh, Now, granted, I haven't spent a ton of time playing the ones that are online for download. There must be some that are great, well-designed levels, but most of them are just nuts. So, So, okay, the thing, there's three different ways to rate them. None of them seem to filter the best stuff up to the top, like, and, and there's no way to filter... Like when you play Little Big Planet levels, they give you tags so you can say, you know, I want, you know, yeah. sides force run or whatever, whatever criteria you want. The things that seem to filter to the top are the don't touch the controller and just watch this crazy Rube Goldberg machine work, which is interesting but kind of boring after a while. Yes. Um, and then nightmarish hell levels from the people who made ROM hacked Mario games that were impossible to complete. But they don't have any sense of story or arc or, or they, they, they don't even look that good. They're just challenging. Or they're yeah. not even fair. Like in many cases, they're not even fair. 
Like they're just, no. there's a gimmick yeah. that once you figure out the gimmick you can pass or they require you to be incredibly precise with timing exactly, and repeat it over and over and over and over again yeah. until you complete it. Now, at least you know they are completable because in order to publish them, the you user to has it, yeah, to once. be able to finish it. Yeah. Um, I feel like you and I should change friend codes so we can see the levels each other. The thing that frustrates me about the whole thing is that they gate your progression so you only have access to a limited number of blocks until you spend a certain amount of time playing the game. You can unlock everything within about a half hour. How? You just have to draw blocks on the screen. Just go crazy. No. Spend, well, what's spend what's more fun than just drawing blocks on the screen? Well, I'm saying this is the hack. This is how you get around the, the limit. They, 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 they give you a few extra blocks to play with after you've made enough levels, so to speak. But mm. all they're really counting is how many blocks you've drawn on the screen. So you have to use at least one of every new item. And then you have to draw, like, you know, 300 blocks. And if you do that, you, oh, man. you I, get early delivery. Well, and since you can just swipe across the screen, That's it. it just works itself out. Yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, I, I know what I'm doing this evening <laughs> um what's cool is that my whole family well not my whole family because my wife is not doing this but my kids and i are all making levels for each other and you share them with each other and like take turns playing each other's levels absolutely that sounds wonderful it's really really fun um i you know the rumor is that Nintendo's going to move away from tablet for nx which is their next console that they're presumably going to announce next year so i'm i'm even though Wii U has kind of been an abysmal failure for Nintendo, I'm I'm actually super glad that it exists so that this product can exist. Right on, yeah, because it's the thing I've always wanted. Like, I, I mean, I used to make Mario levels on graph paper when I was in elementary school. Oh, this is your game. Oh, the, yeah. I I think this is. I don't want to get uh, exaggerated, but I think this could be a really important game in the history of games because I think this is going to be one of those games that turns on kids' minds to game design. I think that, that some game designers 20 years from now will look back and say, I played Mario Maker and realized, like, it opened my mind to people actually make these games. And, Along with the Minecraft. And, right. And what does it take to yeah. create an interesting narrative? And how do you train the player? And, and what's challenging? And what's too hard? Well, and Minecraft is more about construction, kind of, at, at, at the base level, I yeah. think. This is, like, it's, it is, like, I spent... Basically, I spent the entire time I've been playing with the game so far trying to build a compelling like game that level that would fit in one 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 two or one three right like something that's not too hard introduces jumping concepts the basic concepts of the game and gives you a sense of satisfaction that you've done some things that are a little bit hard but not so hard that they're frustrating that you're going to fail over and over again yeah <laughs> um, on the box cover of Mario Maker Miyamoto it isn't so easy is it <laughs> yeah he's using the the new emoji. Um, well, that's that was the the, the hidden, not hidden, the um, the secret Mario levels, like the Mario that was never released here. Lost levels. The lost levels that was yeah. released in Japan because they were basically it p- picked up where the original Super Mario Brothers left off and just continued ramping up the difficulty. It was too difficult for American audiences. They were dicks, basically. Who the Mario Super Mario the real Super Mario Brothers two not the Super Mario Brothers two we got in the exactly. United States exactly um, you know there's a there's a, a couple people that make a series called Boss Fight books that run a I think a Kickstarter every year and then they release five or six books out of that they did a Super Mario Brothers two U S uh, Boss Fight books last year I think you can get it on Amazon now. Uh, I read it a few weeks ago, and it's absolutely fascinating because hmm. it tells the whole story, and it tells a lot about how. If you got Nintendo Power, you know who Howard is, right? Nintendo Howard. Oh, he, he was the fan that that became a staff member. Well, he wasn't a fan. He worked in like shipping. Okay, but he was the guy who worked for them that played games. Yeah, right. So they ran everything by him. Like they they would get the Japanese versions of the games. Yeah, he would plug them in and be like, "I think this one's probably a winner," and then that would be Legend of Zelda, right? Or 
Yeah, this is interesting. This is we should do this one. We'll we'll localize this one. And and he was the one who was the gate who decided what got translated and what didn't in a lot of like in in early NES era Nintendo right. definitely. Um and it's it's a it's a really good read. So it's a it's boss fight books, Super Mario Brothers two. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's it's definitely worth reading. And those books, even if you're not interested in the game that they're talking about, like Darius Kazemi wrote a Jagged Alliance two one that's fucking awesome. Um, it's a really neat look at the kind of uh, not exactly scholarly, but somewhere between scholarly and pop nonfiction retelling of these these stories of these early games. Um, before the people go away. The other thing I'll talk about on the Mario Maker front is Boing Boing grounded up. Uh, they rounded up a bunch of game designers to give some like tips and guidelines for making Mario Maker levels. Yeah, required reading if you want if you want to get it's serious true. about making Mario Maker. It's levels. true. I don't know how many people want to get serious because it really is work. I mean, you really have to. Oh, it's hard. You have to think and you have to pace the level in a way that doesn't necessarily seem fun to you. Yeah. And it's it's very much a less is more right. situation. Like the you if you put stuff in every block, unless that's the gimmick on your level, like it's much harder to make a non gimmick level yes. that's fun than it is to make a gimmick level that's yeah. fun. I, I mean, I think everyone who plays this game, even if they don't get into design themselves, they have to walk away with a higher appreciation for the existing Mario games. Um, on the Mario front, as part of the lead up to this, Miyamoto was doing a lot of press. And he Eurogamer sat down and did an interview with him where they played through one one while he was watching and he talked about why yeah. stuff is where it is. I watched that, yeah. And it's it's a it was on the site last Thursday or Friday. It is a like for a thing that everyone who's played Nintendo games is familiar with, you know, the, the structure of one one it breaks it he breaks it down in a way that's like okay we put this pipe here so we teach people how to jump and then we put another pipe with a wider gap so we teach them how to jump across and then down and then back up again and then we put a piranha plant so they knew that they had to jump over things sometimes and then we put holes and then you know and it just breaks down like how they made how why one one is a tutorial level and how they did that without explicitly saying look press a to jump yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty outstanding um, Norm, what have you been testing? Anything? Anything exciting? I'll be uh, that DxO one iPhone camera that we got la- last week. Uh, we'll be shooting a review of that soon. Uh, took the XOXO, took a bunch of photos. Did you um, like it? I like it. The idea of it, the camera itself, uh, has much more room for improvement, and it's way too expensive. Which is the, the upshot? Six hundred bucks. Six hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, stay tuned for that review soon. Um, Jeremy Williams, anything else on your front? Uh, well, I bought the new. I bought my first amiibo because of the uh, Mario Maker. I got the eight bit Mario amiibo. There's an eight bit Mario amiibo. Oh, dude, you got to get the eight bit Mario amiibo. What do you get when you when you do the eight bit Mario amiibo? You know, I haven't even Amazon. touched it to the NFC pad. I just wanted the amiibo because it is it's act. And uh, you know, I thought, okay, it's a pixely Mario. Maybe they just took some liberties. No, they used the actual sprite of Mario jumping, you know, pounding a brick as the basis for the profile of this 3D object. And then they extruded it, you know, so that he's actually 3D in a way that I think is insanely clever because the the sprite itself, really, you'd have a hard time stretching, imagining what that would look like in 3D, but they had to do it, and it's really, really cool. Show me a picture. Very well done. Holy it's on hell, my, it's $30. It, no, it's only 12 bucks. you got to find it, you know, at, re, at retail price. But go to my Twitter at Jareware. There's a cool picture of it. Okay. Um, nice. Also, I've been watching a really excellent um, video that I'm, that I'm supporting on Patreon. 
uh, called the Game Maker's Toolkit, which actually reviews um, Mario Maker and it talks about game design and, and some of it. But it's, it analyzes many games from a game design uh, aspect, and it, you know, in a way, it's, it's critiques, but it also sheds interesting light on what makes good game design. And I'm really, I love this this series. You guys should check it out. Cool. What, what's it called again? Game Maker's Toolkit by Mark Brown. I will totally check that out. Yeah. Um, it's 3D Sprite Mario has tripped me out. It's I, I'm totally I can't I can't cope with it. It's the 30th anniversary one, right? That is correct. We should have a Mario Maker me party, amiibo party. Yeah. Get everybody come over to everybody's houses. Bring your Wii U's. Everybody tap there because I think once you all you do is tap it once and you unlock the thing forever. I didn't. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yep. Gary has a lot of amiibos. We need to we need to get him in on this. Yep. He went down a dark hole with that stuff. Um, anything else for you, Norm? That's it. Uh, I think we should probably call it a show at that then uh thank you guys for coming by and uh, thank you all for watching as always we'll be back next thursday with another edition of this is only a test i think we're gonna record on wednesday morning next week so um we'll do some questions because we haven't done them in a while and i think it'll be a relatively slow news week so um that'll do it for us this week today's outro is uh seemingly from where'd that tab go there we go it's from uh, minker 17 here it is it's loading up now hi there i didn't see you Test it. downside of this thing that I've seen so far is that it seems like we're going to go through balls like nothing you've ever seen. Mm. Lots and <laughs> lots of tiny yellow balls. Mm. See you guys next week. And we're clear. What's up, Sean? You guys late for a phone call? No. No, it's that's Wednesday. Oh, right. So it's Thursday today. <sighs> yeah, I can eat two food. I did. I gotta move my car. Right now, probably. Yeah. Uh, I always want to choose a place and then I will. Uh, sushi, Blueprint, Mars. Uh, I, I still don't have a good feeling about sushi. Let's do Mars. Either one. Either the okay. other two. Sean's here. I'll meet you guys there. Oh. Hey, Sean. Good to see you. Hey, Sean. Um, we're going to get lunch. You want to get lunch? You know what?